Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me for the full three-hour program as we continue to have a lot to discuss in the sports world on this Tuesday. We'll have Justin Ferguson on as we do each and every week at 3.30 today. He'll talk all things Auburn, Auburn basketball, Auburn football recruiting, as Auburn gets set for a date with UNC Asheville up in Huntsville tomorrow. So we'll talk about Ferg, about all that with Ferg and Auburn basketball as uh, they get ready to have, again, another busy week with USC at the end of the week, obviously, on Sunday. A lot of people looking out for that game. We will continue to update you on all things transfer portal as a key quarterback made his commitment today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, continue to update you on all things Auburn football related. There was one more Auburn football player that did get into the portal today, uh, so we'll mention that and uh, continue to talk all things in the world of sports. We'll also have uh, a little discussion about the uh, Heisman Trophy, too. We were not able to get to that yesterday, so we'll discuss uh, Jaden Daniels a little bit and all of that. If you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine Tiger Nine to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line this afternoon. Again, Ryan, Tom, and Brooks with you on this Tuesday. We'll start with you, Brooks. I hope that your day has been well, and uh, I hope that uh, yeah, all things going good for you, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy day. I've been uh, running around doing all sorts of stuff, um, work related and and non work related. So it's uh, it's been a busy Tuesday, but. It is uh, it's great to be back on here after uh, after the weekend, a busy sports weekend. Not as busy as we've seen it in the fall, uh, but it is still there. Was different types of busy on, so it was great. Uh, I know uh, Ryan, you mentioned it yesterday on yesterday's show, but me and you made the trek up to Atlanta uh, on Saturday. It was great, uh, great atmosphere there, especially uh, not just because Auburn fans were there. It, Auburn fans played a big factor in it. But the and it, the the IU fans that showed up create, helped create a great basketball atmosphere between those the two fan bases there, uh, which was great. Uh, I'm I'm going to be heading up to Huntsville tomorrow to uh, to cover the game for uh, our, our our company. Uh, not expecting a lot of UNC Asheville fans to make that uh, that uh, that a great uh, basketball. Uh, the, the same level of basketball uh, crowd, uh, but Auburn fans will be in plentiful form uh, against the, uh, there, and it's going to be a big one because you mentioned Auburn taking on UNC Asheville before they get to USC. Uh, Bruce Pearl met with the media today, called it a trap game because it, it sets up kind of almost the same way as the last week. Uh, you beat, Auburn beat a, 
a fairly good Virginia Tech team, went on the road to App State, lost that game, and then played IU. You had the big game coming up on the horizon, uh, and App State was kind of a trap game there for them. Auburn fell into that trap, looking to not repeat history, uh, is what uh, Dylan Cardwell said uh, when he met with the media. Is, is Bruce Pearl has been preaching this week not to repeat history, where you had a big win, you've got a, a lesser opponent, even though they did make the tournament last year, you, you got a lesser opponent in the midweek, and then you don't want to get caught looking ahead to a, to a high-profile game on Sunday inside Neville Arena. So we'll talk about the rest of that. Uh, can't wait to get to uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, the Heisman. Uh, I've seen some stuff on social media that I'm, I'm not quite happy with, and so I'll... Uh, we can get to that. And then, of course, uh, just the portal keeps portaling. And so people jump in, people jump out. Will, you know, what what happened? The the best quote that I had from the day was I, the Bruce Pearl's press conference was bright-eyed early at 9 a.m. this morning. So I roll in there. I roll in with our, our friend of the program, Brian Matthews. We walked in together. And he he walked into the room. And the first thing he said to the to everybody else is, did anybody gump, jump in the portal since I got my car and drove here? <laughs> and so everybody kind of everybody kind of chuckled with that uh, at that comment. But that's what it is these days is you don't know five minutes. Uh, one guy's here and then the next he's gone into the, the transfer portal. So uh, but I've rambled too long. I will I'll turn it over to, uh, to back to the, the host of the show, Ryan Lavoie. And uh, can't wait to talk to our callers and can't wait to get this uh, great Tuesday sports call out of the way. Uh, Brooks, you did not ramble <laughs> too long. I do that about eight times a show. So I think you're more than willing to, to take a few minutes uh, to talk right there. Tom Peavy, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, yeah, just been running around today trying to get my day started and kind of keeping track of what all's been going on in, this, in the world of sports and reflecting back on stuff we talked about yesterday and yeah just ready to talk about everything that's going on yeah absolutely and there i did not ramble on wow yeah that was uh well then I'll, I'll take some more of your time before we get <laughs> yeah. into it i want to give a shout out uh they're not a sponsor but the guys at the uh, express oil change just up the road from here uh my wife grace's uh headlight went out last night and so i went and grabbed a headlight went rolled over there and they were very helpful they installed it didn't charge anything for it and so uh, i want to give them a shout out on the uh, on the air there, there's some great guys over there again not yeah. a sponsor i just wanted to give them a little little shout out that they uh they did it's it's a little you know Christmas time of year. You want to give some of the the good news out there, and they, they, those guys are uh, are. Big. I've always been a big help when I've had to take vehicles up there. Absolutely, uh, glad that was taken care of, and glad they helped you out there. And uh, I certainly can relate to the. Uh, burned out headlight that happened to me twice in the last month I'm, so apparently we were on the same same schedule i was gonna there. say now I, uh, i'm on the clock wait for the other one to get yep. out here in the next few days uh, i'm gonna break the news with it before <laughs> before christmas oh. you will have one more uh, <laughs> uh if those lights were uh were similar wattage and similar lifespan so uh it, it does come in pairs there but yeah let's uh let's get going with the show today want to start with some transfer portal news uh nothing coming towards Auburn at the moment in the portal. However, there are two big names to reflect on uh, in the world of college football. Now, one was an Auburn target, and that is Riley Leonard. It was said a couple weeks ago that it would be between Notre Dame and Auburn with a heavy Notre Dame skew, and today that became official that Riley Leonard is transferring to Notre Dame. Notre Dame takes another ACC quarterback after taking, of course, last year's Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. They now get Riley Leonard from Duke, and so that's where he will play football next year. Also, about a half an hour ago, 
Uh, there were some big rumblings on on three site with transfer portal and that sort of thing. And this would be a big deal too. And this one will be Auburn related and that who it will affect. And that is that Trevor Etienne, Florida's really good running back who hit the portal, is rumored to be going to Georgia. Uh, and so that will be a big time running back for Georgia to get. Etienne was one of, if not the highest profile running backs in the portal. Uh, and it appears that he is going to be going to Athens. That is not official yet, but again, the on three guys saying that that is the heavy favorite, and that's the way it's leaning. So uh, you have that news. You did have one departure today for Auburn, Austin Osbury, redshirt freshman corner who played in the UMass game and then a couple other games on special teams. Uh, he is hitting the portal for Auburn. I believe we are up to nine players in the portal uh, that are headed out of Auburn. So... Uh, with that, guys, again, anything interests you there? Thoughts on Riley Leonard and uh, thoughts on maybe ETN or or uh, just kind of the big names in the portal? Yeah, I know that Riley Leonard was was a guy that was on Auburn's radar, and, and like you mentioned, it uh, when he got into the portal, it, it felt like it was between Auburn and Notre Dame. It really did feel very quickly after that that it was Notre Dame's uh, – he, he was Notre Dame's to lose – um, I, I don't know how much he was, Leonard was in the conversation. It, the conversation really did turn from him pretty quickly. He was the first big guy to jump in the portal at the quarterback spot. And then as other people jumped in, uh, the conversation kind of turned away from him in the, on the Auburn side of things. People kind of stopped talking about him at, at Auburn. But, you know, obviously he was still, you know, it, it was, Auburn was still in the mix there. So it's not too shocking um that uh that that he he made the decision to go to Notre Dame I mean kudos to them that they've uh they've done a good job in the portal getting quarterbacks like you mentioned Sam Hartman who I know it didn't pan out but at the beginning of the year was getting a lot of preseason Heisman buzz uh and you know that's that's a big thing uh when you've got a a guy like Riley Leonard that jumps in the portal uh kudos to Notre Dame uh Marcus Freeman that staff up there pulling uh and pulling him in and and uh getting him out of the portal we'll have to see where it goes from there because you know we, we've talked about it uh and this isn't you know it's not like oh Auburn didn't get, get this guy let's bash him a little bit no this is you know we talked about this during the season uh how you know how good Riley Leonard actually is uh, is, is how you know what he can do, and especially with a high-profile program like Notre Dame, can he go up there and be an actual difference maker, or is it going to be a kind of the same the same realm here as Sam Hartman, where you you look at him start the year fairly you know fairly good, and then kind of tails off toward the middle of the season, you kind of forget that uh, Notre Dame's playing football there in the middle of the season, uh, especially when their last game was on the Pac-12 network for the year. Uh, and then on the other uh, the other big news, like you mentioned, ETN possibly going to Georgia. Um, yeah, that's big on, on a couple things because it's you're got a guy leaving your rival, you're leaving a rival school going to a rival school. Um, uh, that would be big. I, I don't know if uh, I don't know how happy Florida fans would be, um, and so uh, I'm sure they're they're not at all happy. But uh, it'd be a big pickup for Georgia. You know, you, you look at their running back room this year. It was fairly solid, uh, led by Kendall Milton, but he wasn't that dominant number one guy that we've seen Georgia have. Uh, over the past, you know, few uh, few seasons, um, it was it was really Milton, and it was kind of running back by committee the rest of the way uh, after him. So I think Etn gets in there, and I think he be immediately becomes uh, their their number one back. You look what he did at Florida this year; it was fairly impressive, especially on a Florida team that didn't really feel like it was going anywhere. Uh, but I think that the you know if, as a as a fan 
of a team that goes against your rival, you don't want to see this happen because it's a really good back going to a team that's already fairly stacked. Um, but as a, if, if you're looking at it from a Georgia perspective, uh, it's a big pickup. Uh, it, it is, it's big for them. It, it's a, it adds that uh, running back room. It adds depth there, and it, it, it really gives you, like I said, really gives you what I think is a, a number one running back going into next season. Tom, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, it's just a big pickup for Georgia if that's where he goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a good running back. And, uh, you know, it, I, it again, makes you question what I was going on there at Florida. I mean, uh, Auburn's looking at flipping the defensive tackle. Uh, you've got a running back leaving. You've got a lot of people leaving Napier over there at Florida. So, very curious to see exactly what's going on there. Uh, so, that's that. Uh, the Riley Leonard thing, I Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. But you scared me off of Riley Leonard when you started spitting facts at me that I didn't know, and I was like, "Ooh, okay." Like I was like, I thought Riley Leonard was like this really good quarterback. I just never really looked deep into it, and then Ryan sits there and starts telling me, you know, stat wise, he's not a whole lot better than Peyton Thorne. And then I looked at it myself, and I was like, "Ooh, Uh-oh. gosh, he isn't." So yeah. you know what? He's from the two five one. So I support. So shout him. out, shout out. Well. Yeah, no, he, competent college quarterback for sure. But I'm just my stance was always, if you're looking for a significant passing upgrade, that you got to look somewhere else. Right. To this point, it's not been there from Leonard, and I understand the injury part of this year. And you can say, well, he was at Duke. Well, I would tell you, well, look at the receivers Auburn had this year, and right. <laughs> look how yeah. look how all of them are now in, entering the portal because they're going to get run out of here by true freshmen next year. So. Again. And, and see, when it came to Auburn, I just I felt like if Auburn was going to go the quarterback route, I felt like there were some others that were probably better than than Riley Leonard, and so that's why I say to him going to Notre Dame. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I think though the interesting part and why it was worth mentioning is that that's really the only guy that Auburn has been super linked to. I know that there was that report that you know Cam Ward has There's Auburn some, yeah. late, but. Again, I've just not seen that pick up any traction with some of Auburn's recruiting guys, mm-hmm. and therefore really the only transfer portal quarterback that I've seen that Auburn was truly linked to and investigating and, and, and maybe in some ways trying to get was Leonard. So right. with that, it kind of, I don't want to say closes the book, but certainly turns the page at least on what Auburn is trying to do at quarterback and I think just continues to further the belief that they're going to go with Peyton Thorne next year uh, and that they they feel comfortable enough with that that they do believe that they can fix the other elements of the offense and enable uh, a, a better opportunity for him to succeed. And, again, I, I think that as long as they continue to get – I know this sounds a little I – don't, I don't know exactly how this sounds, but I, as long as they continue to get these big-time recruits in this next couple – next month or two – and that's how they're spending NIL money. Cause again, we don't know the numbers and we're going to, I'm sure we're going to have some back and forth in the coming weeks and months of like, well, you know, they, uh, these, these guys have so much money. They can just spend and spend. Well, they can to a degree for some period of time. And, but, but you don't have a situation where everyone that has money is just like, I will give 80% of my money to everything going on Auburn football related every single year. Uh, and, and so when you don't have any financial return on that and you're basically just giving in, giving the millions or whatever, when you're already paying 
other parts of the program, such as buyouts and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, again, Auburn's in a great financial position. That's that's not the point. The point is still everyone does have a limit at some point. And uh, without knowing specific numbers, I can't tell you, well, Auburn has this much remaining of what they're comfortable in spending. And Georgia has spent this much so far, and they're willing to spend this much more. Without those kind of more very transparent uh, optics, basically like a salary cap and a salary cap in a professional league, I can't tell you that they have X amount of money to distribute in X amount of ways. And so what my assumption is is that they have dedicated their resource, their money, into the high school uh, avenue and that they will eventually, I'm sure, if they need to, they will flip some of that resource. But then coming into year two, leaving year one right now, I don't even say coming into year two because we are in December. The Technically, this year is not over yet. Uh, le- it, exiting year one, I think the strategy is still clearly we're not one player away from where we want to be. Therefore, we're not going to go portaling and use the big money there. We're going to continue to build the foundation. And I know that is maybe hard to accept for some because – why can't you just win right now? And again, it goes into well, okay, there still is some at some form a limit at some point. If there what if there was no limit, then other schools would just go on and on and on as well. Again, Auburn is in a great position. That does not mean they're the only one in a great position. There are other schools that exist that clearly have a lot of money too. So uh, again, you still have to be of some sort of mindset with it. And I I still agree that going the high school route for now is the right thing. Now, once they get to an eight, nine-game winner, then you look at the team and you say, okay, if we fix one or two positions, this becomes a playoff team. That's when it becomes worth it, and you really need to invest that resource in the portal. But, uh, look, you can make arguments that this team was was better than 6-6. Six and six. You can make arguments that they beat no one of consequence this year, and it was kind of a – Kind of a meh, six and six. Like you could fall on either side of that equation, but the reality is it was six and six, and that specifically is not cl- that close to to a top ten team. So uh, I I think they're right to continue to try and get these big time players that will hopefully influence the program for two, three, even four years, not just a single year. Uh, and, and that's the way I have kind of thought of it. Uh, great rebuttal though is okay. You go with Peyton Thorn. You get all these great wide receivers. And then you don't throw it well enough. Do you actually retain them for a second year? Do they trust you to go through another quarterback? That's a great question, and that's kind of a that's kind of the game you play now in today's college athletics. So as we've gone through these last couple of weeks, Brooks, where do you sit now on kind of this conundrum and and how they're using resources and just the big topic of quarterback and portal and all that? Well, I I tell you what, you know, we we don't know the numbers behind like, you know, the the collectives like on to victory and stuff. But you mentioned limits and, you know, about what Auburn can spend. You also have limits of what people are donating too. That that's the thing is you you look at it and you say, "Oh, you know, ever everybody loves Auburn. Not everybody donates." And people that do donate, you look at, you know, everything, it your on to victory is now asking for money, right? Auburn Athletics is still asking for direct uh, donations to them with Tigers Unlimited Fund. You still have season ticket packages. You've got people, you know, there's still stuff being built around Auburn Athletics that's getting named for people, which means people are making donations to have those uh, names. And so that's, you're asking your your donor base now, 
continue to spread things out a little bit more with your rear donations. And so that could, you know, you, you so you don't know, you know, we, we don't know what their, their resources looks like when you look at, uh, at NAL collectors, cause you don't know, like say, Hey, I want X thing to be named after me. Well, I'm going to give that, I'm going to give more to this and not give as much to on to victory. Well, maybe we were counting on some of that on to victory money to, to, to come in and help and land X player. So I, I don't, it, it's, it's, I, I agree with what with everything you you just said. It's like it feels like that Hugh Freeze and the staff has decided that we're going to try to uh, focus most of our attention at the high school stuff, and you know maybe and it, it may even be right now we're going to focus on the high school stuff. Maybe as soon as, you know, you got signing day, what next Wednesday or something yep. next Thursday, maybe after signing day, you see that class that comes in. Then you start to see the portal stuff pick up and they, they go in and it's like, all right, we didn't land this guy or we did land this guy. So maybe we can go get this position or we don't have to focus so much on this position. And then you go portaling a little bit. Uh, the danger with that though, is you miss on some of the big guys. Some of the big guys are trying to get in the portal and get out quick and if you're not fully committed right now to that that portaling, you're going to miss some of the bigger names in there. Uh, is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. Maybe the maybe the a bigger name that jumped in wouldn't have benefited at your at your program. It, it's there's so many different angles you can come from at, at this point with with the uh, from from Hugh Freeze and and the staff uh, when it comes to recruiting. And that's why you know it it feels like you know you look at the salaries the the coaches and coaching staffs make. You're like, oh, that'd be cool to have. And you think about what all you have to do behind the scenes work with the recruiting and th- transporting. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't need. The, I I have enough trouble putting together a fantasy lineup every single week on uh for espn so it's uh it's in it's uh it's a lot of different work um it feels like though that there you know you you've got you know i said this couple uh, a few weeks ago it feels like um auburn is is at least right now fine with peyton thorn going into right now but I think that Hugh Freeze, the way he talked about Holden Gurner throughout the end of that uh, the, the season, he brought him up, you know, a couple times in those midweek uh, or game week press conferences about how he was doing at practice. I think he thinks that Holden Gurner can come in and at least push Peyton Thorne to be a better quarterback in the spring and into into fall camp next year, uh, if not really compete for that starting job. And then you get a year of Walker White in the system, learning behind uh, both of those quarterbacks and kind of fitting in, and then you get him in and, and start. Because it feels like Walker White is a guy that, you know, Hugh Freeze went very hard with last year, was able to land him. And he's been doing – Walker White's been doing a lot of recruiting himself, tweeting yes. and, and, and you know, hey, come come join the family, be, be with Auburn. And so I think that Hugh Freeze and them have, are, are – it could be they're making the commitment already to say, hey, two years down the line, this is going to be our guy. And that that's when you really start to see this this uh, this team pop. I'm not saying that they you should – you know, folks out there should expect six and six – next year and be fine with it and say, all right, well, you know, whatever, six and six this year, but we'll have Walker White next year. No, you need to look and you need to get better next year so that Walker White, if this is the plan, has that base to come in and continue to grow the program. Yeah, no, I, I, you hit on it a little bit right there, Brooks. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and you kind of grow up and you your dreams change a little bit. You kind of realize the professional athlete road's not going to happen. So you're like, oh, well, I'd love to be a coach one day or something. And you, you dream about being – an Auburn coach or, mm. or whatever school's college coach. And in recent years with these changes, I'll tell you what, an NFL job looks great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 
it's just it, it is a lot. It, it requires a different personality, and it requires someone that is A or A plus recruiting and and with people and with management of people because, uh, again, the fact it's not just trying to convince seventeen year olds to come join a program anymore. It's about convincing your own players to not leave your program at the first sign of trouble or to not take the bigger bucks at another program that has a little bit more prestige or has a, a different opportunity for you. And then it's also about when something does happen internally or something you do lose that hurts you a little bit, can you then convince someone else's 20 or 21-year-old kid that the grass is greener on this side? And that, again, is a year-long thing. It's not like we cut this off for six months and we only have a free-for-all for a little while. This stuff happens year-round uh, with the portal because, again, you might have your, your closure dates of the portal, but that doesn't mean someone has to commit by that closure date. You're still working on that. And you can just enter the portal for the next cycle. You'd be ineligible for this cycle. Just go ahead. I Well, that went horrible. I'll just go ahead and I'll wait, wait out to next time and – uh, then again, you're recruiting, you get done with one class, you're still recruiting the next two. Uh, it's a madhouse and it's a lot to keep up with. And, uh, the recruiting thing just, I think it continues to get amplified because there's just more ways in which you have to recruit now. I mean, it used to be other, other than getting a high school player, the next best thing you could do was like, okay, we got a really cool Juco player. And now it's like, what JUCOs? <laughs> it's just like, go, go get them from Ohio State. There's four-star transferring at Ohio State. Now go get those guys. Go get the Georgia guys and that sort of thing. So it has really continued to evolve in, in that manner and, and been yeah. – uh, I, I was just going to say, yeah, you're, you're not going to find your next Cam Newton coming out of JUCO. You're going to find your next Cam Newton in the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah, like one hundred percent. Yeah, and that might be Cam Ward. Well, I'm kidding, kidding. Well, maybe. Well, and I'm just thinking, you know, what Jalen Daniels did, Heisman yeah. Trophy winner. Jalen Daniels, yeah, transfer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all the candidates were transfers yeah, except for Marvin yeah. Harrison, Bo Nix, and my yeah. You're right. Yeah, uh, and then the guy that won it last year was transferred, Caleb yep. Williams. So there you go. We are out of time for this segment. When we come back, we will have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us. He'll talk all things Auburn basketball and some transfer portal. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, Play Sports Call Auburn. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday as we go to the orthopedic clinic phone line and we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world? I'm doing all right. How are y'all? Doing very well. Of course, the Auburn basketball team also doing very well after a great performance in Atlanta, another holiday hoops, giving this one a success for the Tigers. Uh, talk a little bit about the atmosphere first, Ferg, uh, and compare it to, I guess, some that we've seen uh, Auburn away from Neville Arena, some in just kind of the the neutral environment, and and 
and uh, how, how the environment was for college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I thought it felt very much like an NCAA tournament game. Um, you're playing in an NBA arena, and it's about probably 50-50. Indiana might had a, had a maybe a little bit more uh, fans there uh, than Auburn in that one, uh, which was interesting. But, I mean, Indiana travels as well as pretty much any team in the country. It's like them in Kentucky. Um, and, and, you know, I, I learned from a couple of my friends who went to Indiana and are Indiana folks that apparently Atlanta's got a lot of Indiana alums in it. Um, so it was a great atmosphere. Um, Auburn, you know, I thought they did a really good job of handling the environment. Um, you know, Indiana hits a bunch of shots early in the game, which was kind of out of their element, uh, uncharacteristic of them. And I guess the rest of the game really showed that. Um, but Auburn didn't get rattled. And I thought, Last Sunday when they played at App State, they got rattled a bit by the crowd and the and just the atmosphere and things kind of going sideways on them. They didn't do it in this one, and so it was a great environment. And I think you know gets Auburn. I guess the best way you could say it is they got them kind of ready for what the NCAA tournament could look like because that's what it felt like in there. And, and Justin, I think that of all the key stats I looked at. And there were many great ones, obviously, when you score over 100 points. But only three turnovers for Auburn, and, and that third coming at the very end of the game. Uh, I know it's hard to duplicate something like that, but uh, what what is your sense on how this team is going to be able to operate in terms of taking care of the ball, and, and why are they been, why have they been pretty good at doing it so far? I think it's the fact that they've got a bunch of different ball handlers. Uh, they're not, you know, putting all the pressure on just one or two guys to, to kind of carry the playmaking for them. Um, you know, Indiana in this game did really, you know, I guess their 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 best strategy was to slow down Jani Broom. And then the other thing is they, they really tried to get after, um, you know, uh, Trey Donaldson and, and Aiden Holloway uh, at the point guard spot, get the ball out of their hands as much as possible. So what Auburn did was, hey, we're going to let the other guys kind of play make and play off of that five-out on offense that we've seen. I mean, you know, three turnovers in the game, I think that's more of a sign of just – Indiana's backcourt just couldn't hang with Auburn and couldn't apply a lot of pressure on them in that one. But I mean, Auburn had a ton of assists in this game, and you look at it: Jalen Williams had seven, Chad Bazar had four. I mean, these are two forwards that are your, your top two playmakers in a game. Didn't turn the ball over either. So I mean, it's just really, really impressive. And I think it just comes down to the fact that you know Auburn just does a really good job of just being confident in all their guys. It's not just hey, if you slow down or if you get after. You know, a young point guard like Auburn has, you can get them. The fact that they can put the ball in the hands of a, of a wing or a forward and, and feel like they can still kind of swing the ball around and, and make good plays, I think, is a really good sign for this team. And so I think it's a combination of that and just the fact that, I mean, Indiana's backcourt just doesn't have what it takes. I mean, they were not nearly up to par, uh, you know, to, to hang with this Auburn team in this game. Auburn took full advantage, I thought. Janai Broom and, 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 and you know uh, Dylan Carwell and, and and on the defensive end uh, Jalen Williams and then Chaney Johnson when he got to be in the game he did get into foul trouble pretty early. I thought those guys did a really good job of locking down and limiting the impact of an Indiana team that really just runs a lot of their stuff through the front court. Um, Indiana's guards just aren't nearly as good as Auburn's, and you saw it in this game when you, when you hit a ton of shots and don't turn the ball over and have a lot of assists. The, everybody who played in the back or for Auburn had an excellent game. Justin, you mentioned Indiana's uh, it, the plan to go in there was to get the ball out of Trey Donaldson and Aiden Holloway's hands. Well, Aiden Holloway still won Freshman of the Week this week despite that that game plan. Uh, talk about his uh, his bounce back game on Saturday. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think early on Auburn did a really good job of, um, you know, getting Aiden Holloway some catch-and-shoot opportunities, um, using him, you know, running him off of screens, uh, something I wrote about uh, for, for a film room on Monday at the Observer. Just a lot of good set plays, a lot of good set actions to get Holloway the ball in some shooting situations, not being afraid to say, to say hey, you know, we're fine letting – you know, a, a, a wing or a forward make those passes and kind of initiate that action. Um, so they did a good job of that. And then in the second half, I mean, it was just Aiden Holloway just tore up those those guards for Indiana. I think he saw those guys matched up on him and just knew that they weren't, you know, deeper they got in the game, the more Auburn was running. Uh, the de- you know, Auburn had more depth in this team. They kind of wore out Indiana. And so then in the second half, you saw Aiden Holloway do a lot of more, more of his kind of shot creation um, step backs, good moves, driving to the basket, um, drawing fouls, doing stuff like that. So I think the first half, Auburn did a really good job of you know, getting the game plan, saying, hey, teams are going to try to get you this way. They're going to try to do some of the stuff that have kinda, has kind of frustrated Holloway and gotten the ball out of his hands the last uh, few games. So instead, let's use him in a little bit of different ways, draw up some ways to get him some open looks. He knocked those down, and then later in the game, playing with that confidence he just got to play a lot of good one-on-one basketball and, and really create some stuff for Auburn so fantastic game for him and I think a great sign for Bruce Pearl and the staff that look the talent's going to win out more often than not I know some Auburn fans you know had kind of pointed out that you know Holloway had been struggling and you know talking about oh you know does he need to continue to be the starter Trey Donaldson's playing so well I think this game showed just this dude's an elite talent he just kind of hit a wall a little bit Auburn adjusted he adjusted and he showed why, you know, he's one of the best players, you know, coming out of high school this year. Eight regular season games have happened for the this Auburn Tigers team so far this year. Only three of them have been inside Neville Arena. Uh, I know Bruce Pearl talked about it earlier today at his press conference, but uh, Justin, how important is it for Auburn to have good performances away from Neville Arena, especially because, you know, you've seen in the past, that's been one of the criticisms of, of these teams here in the past few years is they can't really play away from Neville Arena. Yeah, they've done a good job of that. I think you know the Baylor game. You know Baylor got hot there in the second half, and you know went to the free throw line a lot and beat them. You know Auburn didn't shoot well at all in App State and still had a chance to win. But then you look, neutral site wins over Notre Dame, St. Bonaventure, Indiana. Now, I mean that, those are those are good wins. Those are quality wins for Auburn. Um, you know I think teams like St. Bonaventure and Indiana are going to be fighting for NCAA tournament spots. So don't really see it with that Notre Dame team. Uh, I don't really see it. UNC Asheville is going to be a fascinating game tomorrow because, you know, they were picked to to win the Big South again. They have gotten off to a really slow start this year, but they got some they got some good talent. Drew Timbers an awesome player. Um, going to be one of the better big men Auburn faces this season in terms from just a skill set standpoint. Um, but so I mean, that one's going to feel more like a home game. But just just the fact that they're getting out winning away from home is good. You know, Auburn loves the fact that they've got one of the best home court advantages of college basketball. And really last season, they got to the NCAA tournament on the back of, you know, basically winning a lot of good games at home. This year, I think they have a potential to maybe have a more balanced and deeper resume because they've shown that they can go out there away from home and win. And the good news is you get a lot of that traveling done early. Um, they're about to play this one in Huntsville, which is going to feel like a home game tomorrow, um, you know, in state uh, against a small team. And then, you get four straight at home before you have to go play at Bud Walton Open SEC play. So, um, you know, I think uh, the schedule is going to end up paying off for Auburn in the long run.
Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Law. One more basketball question for you, Ferg. As we look ahead of this week, obviously, as we've just mentioned, UNC Asheville coming up in Huntsville tomorrow, and then that big game against USC on Sunday. What can Tigers fans expect out of USC? And uh, give us a probability of LeBron James going to the <laughs> to the game. Well, I mean, I think if Bronny wouldn't have debuted the other other day against Long Beach State, you probably would have had a better chance of LeBron coming to Auburn and making that game because he said he wanted to be there for the first one. I, you know, I just think with the Lakers' schedule, it might be tough for him to pull that off. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see what he ends up doing uh, uh, for that one. But this USC team is pretty fascinating. They are ultra-talented. Um, they have got a lot of great players. You know, Bronny James, everybody knows who he is. Isaiah Collier's a better player, uh, a freshman, out of Atlanta, Auburn really wanted him, and USC swooped in to try to say, "Hey, come here and help." You know, kind of make a super team of young talent there uh, in Southern California. So, um, you know, Collier's a Collier's a phenomenal player. Um, you know, I think there's some times where he's kind of shown that he's a freshman, but he's a great, great talent. They got some other and Boogie Ellis is still back. I mean, he's you know he's a guy that that gave Auburn the blues. Um, you know, last season, you know, uh, playing scoring there down the stretch. Uh, in that game in, in L.A. And then, uh, you know, they've got some other guys that are uh, pretty big-name players. So it's a super talented team. You can tell they're still learning how to play with one another and try to ha- learn how to win with one another. Um, but, you know, if they're hitting, they've got the talent to give Auburn a heck of a game and a, and a really, you know, good matchup. I think this is going to be a great game. But they've slipped up a little bit, lost to Long Beach, lost to a couple teams that you probably wouldn't have expected USC to lose to at this point in the year. But I think it's just a sign of their youth. Uh, so for Auburn, I think the big key, Sunday, you're at home, big game atmosphere, uh, you know, get the student section, get the get the crowd uh, as cranked up as possible uh, and try to get after this this young USC team and, and try to come out with a win. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. Switching over to the football side of things, uh, obviously we're deep into the recruiting cycle uh, with signing early signing day coming up here in a few weeks. But uh, – where does Auburn stand right now with some of these guys that have visited, uh, some of the guys that are looking to make some visits? And then, uh, yeah, just kind of general, where do we stand right now? Yeah, Auburn currently number 11 in the country and in, in the 2024 class uh, at this point. Doing a really good job. He picked up a JUCO uh, offensive tackle here uh, yesterday. Got big project guy for the future. He's got three years of eligibility left. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be really, really good uh, for them. But, I mean, you look at it, most of Auburn's class is pretty much done at this point. They're about 20, 21 guys, you know, kind of around that, that ballpark right now um, that they feel like they are got a good shot at. And then, you know, just lock those down. And then you've got a few flip candidates out there that are big that could push you into top 10 range. So, I mean, some of the names to keep an eye on, obviously K.J. Bolton, who, uh, you know, committed to Florida State. Auburn and Georgia are both making a huge run at him late to try to flip because he's such a, a phenomenal, you know, uh, safety, probably one of the best safeties I've ever seen come out of high school. Uh, you know, he's the big one to watch for sure uh, early on here. Uh, Amaris Williams, uh, who is a defensive lineman, you know, top, I think he's top 50, top 75 overall prospect in the country, uh, currently committed to Florida. I think he's a North Carolina native. Um, he's currently committed to Florida. Auburn's trying to flip him hard. He visited this weekend. Um, got a really good, got a really good visit. Sounds like Auburn's going to have a chance to, you know, make a run at him late. They're going to flip him like they flipped Javante Waller from Florida uh, not too long ago. We know Florida's kind of been leaking recruits uh, yeah. and, and players over the least these last few weeks. Auburn's trying to capitalize on that. Cullen Eccles flipped from uh, or decommitted, I should say, from Texas A&M. 
not too long ago. Uh, Auburn really wanted to add another blue chip offensive lineman. He's got to keep an eye on. Um, you know, he's he's one of the key players uh, there. They've got a couple other you know flip candidates elsewhere, uh, but those are the big names. And then, then of course Ryan Williams. I mean. Ryan Williams is going to be a guy that I think, as it stands right now, you're not going to hear anything from him in terms of his signing between now and December. He's going to sign in February. Currently committed to Alabama. I mean, if you don't know who Ryan Williams is at this point, <laughs> you need to learn. Um, yeah. Ryan Williams, the son of former former Auburn wide receiver at Sarah Land. First, first ever player to win Mr. Football in the state of Alabama as a sophomore. I mean, this is an elite talent. Um, just uh, Just puts up insane numbers every week. Uh, and he just reclassified from the 2025 class to the 24 class. He's been committed to Alabama for a while. Auburn's been working hard for a flip. Uh, and Williams is most likely, as it stands right now, looks like he is going to not sign next week. And he's going to, you know, he's not going to enroll early anywhere. He's going to go in February. Uh, and the word is that Auburn's going to get a visit. Some other people are going to get a visit as well. Auburn's going to try to push really, really hard to flip him. I think it would be. You know, this would be one of the biggest recruiting halls yet if they were able to flip him from Alabama because I think he is just one of these generational-type talents that you do whatever it takes to get uh, on either side. And Alabama's going to really, really want to lock him down. So it's going to be a heck of a fight uh, to finish, but Auburn's working him um, and a lot of these guys. So I'm not saying they're going to get all those dudes that I mentioned, but they get one or two of these guys down the stretch, you're looking at a top-ten class and you're looking at something that could really get this, the ball rolling for Auburn in terms of recruiting moving forward. Uh, also, in, uh, you know, great information there, but uh, also in the, uh, rec- uh, the the portal, excuse me, if I can get my words out. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time we talked, we, we mentioned the quarterbacks, and, and you said that you were kind of thinking that Auburn may not even look at quarterbacks this, this go-around in the portal. Are you still with that, or have you heard that Auburn may be still looking at some of the guys? I mean, they might, but they might be going after, but like not not publicly at least. Um, you know, you haven't seen Auburn really linked to any of the big names. Uh, Riley Leonard committed to Notre Dame today. Everybody knew that was coming. Um, there, I think. I mean, I think if you look at the way Auburn's handled the portal so far and how they've handled recruiting, I think they're going to take the money that it would take to get a big name quarterback and and, and spread it out elsewhere. Uh, I think you're seeing that with the offers they're making in the transfer portal, uh, what they're trying to do with the top ten recruiting class and got to keep in mind also with Auburn at quarterback you've got you know not only Peyton Thorne could come back next year but you're bringing in Walker White you've got Holden Garner potentially coming back you know we'll see what happens with uh, a guy like Robbie Asher so it's like Auburn you know Auburn has a lot of quarterbacks at this point um, so it might be a little while before we get any sort of traction in that department but instead you're seeing Auburn you know make some moves um, in the portal uh, right now, wide receiver was a big one. They get Robert Lewis out of Georgia State. Um, this is a guy who caught 70 balls last year. Pretty good, energetic. Uh, got a, you know, I think he plays a lot more physical than his size indicates when you watch him on film. That's a good pickup. They're going to try to you know close the gap here. I think Auburn would love to get a couple offensive linemen. I've seen some targets go off the board here, but the two uh, to keep in mind. Uh, Fernando Carmona Jr. from San Jose State is probably their best. You know, bet is probably the guy they really, really like. UCLA got a visit from him recently. You got to keep an eye on him. I think he might be the top guy on the board for Auburn on the offensive line. And then uh, Mac Pounders from Memphis is another big name uh, that they really like. If they could get both of those guys, I think that's a great offensive line haul with the guys you could bring back next year and you're trying to build for the future. You'll see them probably 
you know, continue to go after some more wide receivers, maybe some DBs, some defensive linemen. But, you know, they're going to they're gonna be more selective in this transfer portal this time around than they were last year. Because last year they just had to fill out a roster. This year, with the amount of recruiting and the amount of player retention they've got right now, I think they're just going to try to hit, it, hit some spots at a premium and try to build this thing back up through, you know, high school recruiting. And obviously if they can get close to a top 10 class, they'll be in a good position for that. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining on Sports Call today. Justin, I know it's still a busy time with the Auburn Observer. What do you have going on over there? And, again, tell us about that uh, roster tracker, too. Yeah, the, uh, the roster tracker up on the website. So pretty much everything going on in terms of who's coming in, who's leaving, what kind of offers have been made, what, the, you know, what, what it looks like at each position. You can check that out at the Observer. Subscribers can see it. It's just if you're ever wanting to know what's going on, you know, we try to keep that up as mu- up to date as possible. There's also uh, a spreadsheet in there that we link to where you can kind of see it all in like a, a flow chart form. Uh, so you can get that if you are a, an Observer subscriber. We've got a ton of stuff also coming out throughout the week. Mentioned that film room I wrote on Aiden Holloway on Monday. You can check that out today. Today's newsletter is about Keontae Scott and just his return to Auburn, what that means, you know, because I think it's just more than just bringing back a pretty good defensive back. So you can check that out. Uh, and then tomorrow, Auburn's going to be playing at Huntsville against USC at UNC Asheville. We've got a full preview coming up for that game tomorrow. We'll be covering that up there. Podcast, uh, mailbag later in the week, some recruiting stuff, some football stuff as bowl practices get going this weekend. So there's a ton of stuff for the Observer right now. $5 a month or $50 a year. That special is going to run from now to the end of December. Um, so you got you got the next few weeks to jump on board. It's the best time to sign up because – if you sign up right now for a full year, you're going to get everything uh, for this offseason in football. You'll get all of football season next year, and you'll get it you know, pretty much all the way to recruiting uh, as well. So this is a perfect time to join. It's the cheapest price uh, that we've done here in a while. So AuburnObserver.com, check it out. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, we really appreciate the time with you. We hope you have uh, a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you again again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on Sports Call. Just a couple minutes left in the hour, so we will keep it uh, right here. As, again, you heard great updates from Ferg, both on Auburn basketball and on Auburn football and on the portal. Again, uh, as Ferg noted there at the end, that's kind of it's kind of the line of thinking I've had with the team, too, is that, again, with the emphasis on the high school ranks and knowing that the roster is not built by any means, but that it is in a better place now and moving forward than it was this time last year, you can't afford to try to swing a little bit harder at the targets you do have in the portal and not necessarily have as many targets too. Uh, now, again, that that still becomes the great debate in the quarterback landscape of what they ultimately want to do there. But I think that the, the sheer numbers – are just different this year, whereas they had to bring in, what, 20-something, yeah. uh, 23, 24, I think it was the number last year. I don't expect 23 or 24 this year. Uh, and and some of that, too, is that Auburn has uh, only bled, what, nine players so far. And, again, you struggle to come up with more than one or two guys uh, that, that would have played next year any, sor- any sort of ro- real role, uh, let alone a significant one. I mean, again, I think the most accomplished players that are in the portal right now out of Auburn are probably Malcolm Johnson Jr. and Tyler Fromm. And with Fromm, okay, he's looking at being tied in three. 
with Luke Deal coming back, announcing he's returning, and with Rivaldo Fairweather still assuming. I, I almost feel in this age like people have to verbalize they're coming back if there's any sort of doubt. But, again, Rivaldo Fairweather planning to come back. And then at Malcolm Johnson Jr., again, he was the most productive of the names in the portal with, what, eight catches this year, something in that neighborhood, seven, eight, nine catches in the year. I would be more worried if it was seven or eight catches a game. Not for a season. So that's somebody that still was very likely to get passed over by Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson at minimum. Uh, not to mention you still have Jay Fair and Javarius Johnson as returners. And now you've got another uh, portal guy in Robert Lewis out of Georgia State, as Ferg alluded to. 70 catch guy, nearly 900 yards and, and seven touchdowns with the Panthers last year. So again, right there, I've just come up with about five receivers that Malcolm Johnson Jr. would have likely been behind. And still... You might get another portal wide receiver, and you might just get the big prize again out of Sarah Lynn Ryan Williams. So uh, the wide receiver position did have some numbers, and again, Malcolm Johnson Jr. certainly had some playing time, and there might even be another wide receiver at some point in the portal. Uh, but again, that has obviously been the position we have spent a lot of time on in the show as it continues to improve massively just through the high school recruiting ranks. So again, we appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us there we are going to head to our end of our timeout here on the other side more college football talk we'll talk a little bit about the heismans we did not get to that yesterday also at some point in the show i don't know if it'll be in hour number two or hour number three i do want to go over the shohei otani contract i know that's going to be a bit of a change up uh for what we've been doing but uh i do want to talk a little bit about the otani contract because uh it's insane if you've not seen it uh the numbers the how much is being deferred it's one of the crazier contracts you're going to see. So we'll talk a little bit about that at some point in the show. And, of course, take your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Out of time for hour number one, but stay tuned. More ahead. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call, starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of the show today. Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress join me as we continue on with this Tuesday edition of the program. Again, our thanks to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in hour number one. And if you miss that or miss anything or you want to list something again, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Start off hour number two. I want to get to a conversation that I would uh, wanted to get to a little bit yesterday. I know it was a little fresher, but still want to get to it today and talk a little bit about the the Heisman final voting and that sort of thing. As uh, Jaden Daniels did win it, 
the third LSU player to win it, the second LSU player in a five-year stretch to win it, of course, joining Joe Burrow in 2019. There was this interesting uh, sentiment from some. I don't want to say it's a majority opinion because Twitter is not based in reality half the time. Uh, But there was a sentiment amongst some that this was a weak Heisman year, a weak Heisman winner, and that, again, it was just not the strongest of fields. And that was interesting. I I did not really subscribe to most of that. Uh, Mm. I thought that it was actually a strong Heisman class this year, and I feel that maybe people are devaluing it because – Daniels and LSU lost three games. But this is where, again, I remind people that that was the same situation for Lamar Jackson back in 16. That was the situation for Manziel in 12, Robert Griffin III in 11. Uh, Tim Tebow, again, of all the Tim Tebow years, the one that the, the worst team success was the one he won it back in 07. And I'm not, I'm not sure why all of a sudden – after a stretch of what was those four guys in about eight or nine years, I'm not sure why all of a sudden it's become some sort of diss to not be uh, in the championship conversation. So, guys, what do you think about that? What do you think about this class overall and Jaden Daniels winning it? Uh, I, I mean, I, I thought Jaden Daniels should have won it. Uh, I think Bo Nix had it. Uh, I, I think Bo Nix had the Heisman until that Pac-12 game. Uh, Pac-12 championship game. I think he lost it there. Uh, I thought there was a chance Penix could get in there, but Penix also had some rough games that, you know, kind of knocked him down a little bit. Jane Daniels was the guy that was, you know, he was solid throughout. I, I don't see any reason why Jaden Daniels should not have gotten the Heisman. Uh, you can sit there and look at the losses, but like you said, there, there's been other guys win the Heisman that have losses. Uh, you know, the, those happen. Um now, as far as the class goes, I I don't know why they – the only reason I could think that they that folks are saying it's a weak class is because you didn't have a runaway winner. I mean, maybe that's what they look at as a strong class is because there's that one guy, a la the Cam Newton here in 2010, where it was just Cam Newton and then everybody else. Or some of these other years where it's just, you know, everybody knows who's who it's going to be. Maybe that's what they mean by a strong class. I feel like this was a strong class because it could have gone to it could have gone to really all four, and then you could potentially maybe throw Milrow in there if you wanted to. Uh, you know, it, it could have gone to anybody, and so I think that's what makes it a strong class is that there was not separation that that you didn't just have one guy that just ran away with the whole thing, and it was kind of a far gone collu- uh, conclusion. So, no, I think it was a great class. I, I think that was one of the more, you know, uh, interesting Heisman Trophy ceremonies because, yeah, I mean, you really didn't know who it was going to be at the end of the day. To me, that's, that's a heck of a lot more interesting than just knowing who it's going to be and it just, you know, show up and take your trophy. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I agree with what, what you mentioned, uh, Ryan, that I, it feels like just because LSU lost a couple games – uh, everybody was like, "Oh, well, if, if the guy that you know was on this team uh, won it, they must not have been a strong class." 
I, I'm I'm with both of you. I think I disagree. I think you look at you know the top ten finishers here. There's a few names that kind of surprised me that were either a little bit higher than normal or were in the conversation really. But I think outside the top five, uh, or I think the the top five there, uh, I think da- Jane Daniels had a, a obviously he won it had a, a clear case to win the Heisman. I think Michael Penix Jr. had a case to win the Heisman. Bo Nix had a real case to win the Heisman. Uh, and Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, I, I think that he was a, a guy that uh, had a had a uh, not as strong a case as the first three, but a case to win the Heisman. Had number five finished in the voting, had, uh, if he had finished the year uh, healthy and had a bit, some big performances down the stretch against teams like Florida and and uh, Louisville, I think Jordan Travis would have had a had a great candidacy to be a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, but, you know, it, it's – I think those five, you had a, a real case. Then you look at, you know, six through ten, there's names that popped up there that, you know, at, at the beginning of the year you may have mentioned Milrow, then it kind of went away and he came back. Uh, the J.J. McCarthy slash Blake Corum, uh, they were – always kind of in the conversation but they were like the fringe guys on the conversation you you and you would look at the Heisman odds they were always there in the top 10 all year but it was never like oh they've made a real jump no they were always kind of around eight nine ten and odds uh throughout the year so they were still always a, a, a pair that was in there I think it's really the fact that it was you know it was not quote unquote the best player from the best team that won it it was a player that did some extraordinary things this year and no his team may not have been the best that wasn't his fault he did everything he could to win those football games look at the stats uh look at the scores of those games it was everything uh Jane Daniels could do to win football games for LSU he did it and it was it was a phenomenal year uh you had three very talented quarterbacks uh three quarterbacks that are are going to get a lot of uh a run leading up to the NFL draft people are going to be looking at these three guys uh, and and looking, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of conversations had about where they're going to go in the draft. Uh, I think it was a very strong class. I think you know when you've got this much talent there, when you got this many uh, great stats on a on a page in front of you, it uh, what you know, it's it's not like you're you're pulling a guy from oh maybe you know, maybe this guy should deserve you know there was no there was no maybe 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 it was. Oh, it could be, it could be, it could be. There was, it, it was, it, all of these guys were right neck and neck with each other all the way up until the end. Yeah, I, again, I I had thought, I, and I even said as much mid, mid-season, that we were actually on our way to having a very strong class because I didn't look at it as this one guy didn't have X amount of team success or whatever. I looked at it as there's some individually wonderful things going on. And especially those top three guys where they all were the top three passers in the country. And that may not seem like a huge thing to some, but guys, sometimes there'll be some random Western Kentucky passer or Hawaii passer or whoever that ends up being someone from a group of five league that ends up entering the fray. No, these three guys were the three leading passers in the country, and they all played at big schools and big conferences, and that does not happen every year. So that was was one thing. Uh, You had an opportunity for one or two unique situations where – you had great skill position players that were not quarterbacks, such as Marvin Harrison Jr. Although, no, I do not think he had a great case to win it. Was cl- is clearly going to be a top five pick in the draft. Was wonderful and was under that unique set of circumstances, which I grade Tyreek Hill to be in in the NFL, where 
this is a clearly awesome transcendent wide receiver playing with a just normal run-of-the-mill quarterback, and you're able to separate the value in that receiver as being clearly above the value of that quarterback. And that doesn't happen very often. That's something that did not happen at LSU, for example, this year, where Jane Daniels separated himself because he did everything well, because he also ran well, all the touchdowns, all that. However, Malik Neighbors was awesome too and statistically was better than Marvin Harrison Jr., but again, people going off of just what they see with Marvin Harrison Jr. for that Blitnikoff Award, which I know Anthony called in about yesterday. And so you're still able to separate. No, I mean, Malik Neighbors is awesome, and he's probably going to be the second receiver taken in the NFL draft, and that's still going to be probably in the top ten or so. However, Jaden Daniels is what's making this offense go, and it's not the same without him. Uh, and, and so – I thought all of that were strong cases there. Now, yeah, any class you go into six, seven, eight, nine, you're not going to like some things. Like, J.J. McCarthy's not a Heisman candidate. Like, like I'm sorry. I know he finished, like, eighth or ninth voting. He's not. Uh, that, that's not a Heisman Tenth, guy actually. Tenth. Yeah. Okay, wow. Still too high. Anywhere in the top 20, too high. He, he's not. Um, he, he He's a, a, a solid football player that runs a very 2006 way of playing quarterback. And that's fine, and that's good. But again, and when I judge Heisman, I think of most outstanding, and I don't think of McCarthy as outstanding really in any way. Uh, so, so you know, you, you can pick and choose those type of guys. I'm gonna say those two guys, Corum and McCarthy. Uh, it feels like got votes because they were on an undefeated Michigan team. Yeah, no, exactly. It was a value award. It's the same reason Setson Bennett was. See, that's why I think like last year's class was weak to me. And I said at the time, I know I keep railing on this kid. He won two national championships. He he doesn't it, like he he did a great thing, honest obviously. But I did not think that Stetson Bennett being in New York last year was a good sign that this was an awesome Heisman class. And Caleb Williams won it. And now I'm going to get into another point of why I still think this was a strong one. Another criticism of Jaden Daniels beyond the nine and three part was well, what was his Heisman moment? Well, that's something that's kind of cooked up that, by the way, doesn't even end up happening every year anyway. Like, yes, there's some famous ones. Like, we all remember Cam's Heisman moment. It's him blowing Patrick Peterson's speed out the window and still scoring the touchdown after that incredible run against LSU. Like, we all know that. And there's other guys that did have Heisman moments. I've seen Johnny Manziel's play against Alabama where he drops the ball, picks it up, and finds what Swope or whoever in the end zone 2,700 times. I've seen it that, that many times, not even looking for it. Like, oh, here, by the way, is that play again. So some guys do have that moment, but not everyone does. What was Caleb Williams' Heisman moment last year? Was it him losing to Utah for the second <laughs> time? Like, like, I'm serious. Like, yeah. I, Some guys don't have those moments. It's not a qualifier for me to feel that everyone has to have the moment. Some do, some don't. That doesn't degrade or, or upgrade anybody. Sometimes they can upgrade you, but it doesn't degrade, in my opinion, the the highs and winners. And so, yeah, I can't point to one particular moment where I was like, yeah, Jay Nails, he's won the Heisman. But it's the totality of, you know what, five times a game he'd run for 30 yards, <laughs> it felt like. And five times a game he'd have huge touchdown passes. Like It was just the, the pure amount of plays. It was just the that five to ten plays every game were really, really, really good and plays that not anyone else, or at least most other people, cannot make 
in this country. So that's what told me he was the highs winner. It was not, well, he had this 36-yard run that was unbelievable, and he broke nine tackles, and then they won the title, and everything was awesome. Like, it doesn't happen that way for every single person, and that's okay. So I didn't feel like that was a degrading uh, or, or just, again, not Heisman-worthy thing that he did not have uh, a special moment in time where everyone stopped what they were doing and gave him the Heisman. In fact, I think that sometimes that's actually dangerous because then the media will then <laughs> crown somebody in week seven. Like, again, that Manziel moment, wasn't that like game five? And I'm not – like, he clearly was the Heisman. I'm not starting any sort of discourse there. But wasn't it like week five that they beat Alabama that, that year, or week six? I mean, it was pretty early. And yet, that's his Heisman moment, and he ended up deserving it all, all, all great. But you also got to be careful of making one moment too much, uh, and, and so that can go the other way just as well. So again, I did not think that it's very valid to say that Daniels did not have something that stuck out to you as, in one particular instance be enough to say he's not a deserving Heisman winner or not still really good. I'm going to go back through some other Heisman winners here. Uh, and just tell me, I let's 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 do a little uh, let's do a little thing here. Last ten Heisman winners. I, I was going to say the, the Mansell play was actually November tenth. Oh, it was late. It was, okay, it was a little bit so it's game seven or eight. Okay, yeah. that's great. Or game eight, eight, eight or not. Okay, so that was great. Okay, uh, so I stand corrected there. We're going to go through the last nine or ten or so, and you tell me where you'll take da- if you'll take Daniels or that that person. All right. Uh, first off, guys, we'll go back 2013, 10 years. Jameis Winston and Jane Daniels. Uh, I mean, I got Jameis Winston on that one. Why? Won a national title. I mean, I, I'd have to compare their stats, but you see that—that's. We well, can do it off feel. Just do it off the feel right now. So felt like Winston. I'll, I'll feel like you know. I I'd have to go with Winston. I mean, Winston was kind of runaway that year, was he not? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. I think I think he was kind of runaway. I mean, national title guy. I mean. Just yeah, his his the year he won it uh, the the th- two or the four other or the, the other four was AJ McCarron, Jordan Lynch, and Andre Williams. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. see that's a weak class by that, the way. It, to it, me, that's a weak yeah. class. Johnny Manziel finished fifth in that voting. Trey right. Mason was sixth. That, and see, Trey Mason got in strictly because of the SEC championship game that he had. Um, I, I mean, just you know, you, you I, don't have to. It, this could be much. These. Be, be quicker. <laughs> no, I got you. No, I, I, I think, you know, if I'm having to – I think Jameis Winston, for that year, I go with Jameis Winston. Okay. Uh, Won the yeah. national title. Uh, I, yes. I'll give you guys a cop-out, okay? All right. One or the other or tie. Okay. Okay, so that we can speed up a little bit because I was going to do the last 10 years and we can't spend five minutes on <laughs> 10 years. Uh, Winston. I'll okay. take Winston over, over Daniels. Okay. I was going to go Winston, too. I feel that he was dominant that year mm. and clearly – I mean, might have made an entire coach's career if you asked something. So, uh, yeah. so, so Winston there. Mariota or Daniels? Marcus Mariota or Jane Daniels? I see. I go tie on that one, I think. Okay. Um, I also yeah. have to I have to make sure that my NFL bias, like them right, just yeah, completely – Don't think burnt, of them in the NFL. That's the thing. Them just completely burning out in the NFL, I've got to make sure that that doesn't jump into bias. But, I, you know, I, I say tie there, you know – Mariota was good. Yeah. He, I mean, very deserving. Mm, I, I think I, I would give it 
Daniels. I yep. go Daniels over Mariota because Oregon was good. They they had made a national championship recent or, or it just a couple years before without Mariota there. I, I think that it, it was. I think Daniels. I lean towards Daniels as well. As well, and that's not thinking of Mariota in the league. I just think the the running element yeah. from Daniels was was. I think they were similar passers, but Daniels is a runner there. Uh, this can be hard because it's running. It's not quarterback, but Derrick Henry or Jane Daniels. Uh, see, I, uh, ooh, man, I I kind of want to go Derrick Henry. I mean, man, yeah. he was dominant. I, I mean, that was – I mean, when it goes to a position player that's not quarterback, it's because it was just that damn dominant. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Do, do y'all remember any of the wide receivers that were on that Alabama team, if, if they were any uh, – Oh, 15 uh, – Julio? Calvin Ridley, no, Julio Darius Stewart. Oh, yeah, I'd go Henry. Henry. I'd, I'd go Henry. I, I was trying to think of like who else on that team could have helped pick things up, but uh, Calvin Ridley was really the the best wide yeah. receiver there, and he was a freshman. Yeah, I, I got to go Henry too. It was it was dominance. It's something that's not quite been very repeated. Just how many times they shoved the football in his gut. I know that McCaffrey had a case that you're two, but. I, I, Either way, I mean, I'd probably go either one. Plus, you look at who Alabama's quarterback was that year. It was Jake Coker. Yeah, so, it's so like, mm. <laughs> they needed that. They yeah. they kind of needed that, and that's why they gave it to him 30, 40 times a game. <laughs> uh, Lamar Jackson or Jane Daniels? Ooh, uh, Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels. Jaden okay. Daniels slightly. Uh, yeah, slightly. I, you know, and I slightly because uh, tougher schedule. I mean, uh, let, yeah, I mean Louisville played a tough schedule, but I, it's not a SEC schedule. Yeah, I mean it. it you the their biggest uh, competition. I don't even know if they uh, they may have played um twenty twenty sixteen uh, Louisville. Uh, did they play Clemson? Because that was Deshaun Watson who also they definitely second. played Clemson. I just don't remember if they won. That was that. That's who they finished second. Uh, they lost to Deshaun Watson. He lost to the guy that finished second to him in the Heisman, yeah. forty two to thirty six. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think. Schedule and and yeah yeah and then they they went up and uh, yeah I, I agree yeah I would go tie on this one uh, this would be my first tie I think that Lamar had a skill set that was very unique because he's one of the single fastest players I've ever seen play at quarterback sure and you also think about what Louisville usually is as a football program and they're not a whole lot usually I mean I think this was the, I think this year might have been their best season since 2016 probably mm. and they still lost three games so. I, I would go I would go tie because I appreciate their running both their running abilities. Uh, I think Lamar's running ability was probably a little bit better, but then maybe a little bit better passer for Daniels. Sure, you could factor in schedule and all that, but I think that Lamar was outstanding in a unique way. Baker Mayfield, Jaden Daniels. Uh, Jaden Daniels. Yeah, I go yeah. Jaden okay. Daniels. I love my current quarterback I, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I also go Jaden Daniels. I and, and this may just be because of stats and because of the the offense they ran. I always thought that Mason Rudolph was was a little bit better than well, uh, Baker Mayfield. He okay. And I look at the and it, did know, Miles Garrett's helmet think that though? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, he had uh, 80, uh, four, 489 com- – uh, oh, hold on. I, he had uh, 300 more passing yards on the year uh, Rudolph did than Baker Mayfield, okay. so I'd take Daniels. Maybe gave it that as more of a value award. Uh, but I would – like I said, i go Daniels too. So we all went Daniels there. 18 was Kyler Murray. So back-to-back Oklahoma, Murray or Daniels? This one's along the same lines for me as that, that Lamar – uh, I think Lamar. The I would go slightly into Daniels. Uh, I think. Okay, slightly Daniels. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. See, I think I slightly go Kyler because okay. he he really, really had a just yeah. very dominant year that, yeah. that season that he won the Heisman. I would go – I'd split the difference. I'd, I'd go same category for me, Rell and Ty. And, you know, with these Oklahoma quarterbacks, too, you have to – you also take into account that, you know, you, we always talk – we talked this year about Jaden Daniels having nothing on defense. These Oklahoma quarterbacks had nothing on defense as well because Lincoln Riley True. was their head coach. Yeah, no, it was a carry job by these offenses and these quarterbacks for sure. Uh, and Kyler was very unique because someone that small, that fast, that also was a baseball player – uh, doing that was unique. I, I, I'd again, I'd go about tie there. Twenty nineteen Burrow. Oh gosh, this is I, I, this is tough. Is LSU compadre yeah. because Burrow, I think, is the better quarterback, but Daniels was a better like had was had the the running ability more than Burrow did. Burrow had a great passing game, and that's what you talk about when you look at that that uh, that LSU team. Is you you talk about the passing game that Joe Brady brought in and how it revolutionized that offense? Oh, Burrow. Uh, okay. I, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going Burrow on this one because I I view the Joe Burrow thing the same way that I do Cam Newton here at Auburn. Is Ed Orgeron caught lightning in a bottle that one year, and it was mainly because of Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Yes, there were some talent around that team. But that team does not win a national championship. They do not do what they did that year without Joe Burrow, their quarterback. Um, a, just an extremely dominant performance that year from Burrow. Won a national title. Again, that team would not have been what it was without Joe Burrow. So I have to go Joe Burrow for yeah, that one. I agree. I, that one's one of the more convincing ones for me is, is Burrow. Uh, that's author of – Maybe the best college offense I've seen. Yeah, uh, it's certainly in that conversation. It's going to be for a long time. You say, well, what about the weapons around them? Sure, that's part of what makes that an unbelievable offense. But Burrow put up ungodly numbers. He did not. He did not mince production yeah. uh, with that year. And uh, again, you start splitting hairs because like Daniels had a top ten pick at receiver this year too, and Brian Thomas is going to be another high pick too. So again, it's not like you're devoid of talent this year. And so just given everything Burrow did accomplish and the, the pure insanity of some of those numbers, I mean, they were – speaking of Oklahoma, I mean, they absolutely beat them to a pulp. I mean, they I think they scored like 60 points or something in the, in the uh, playoff game, first playoff game. So, yeah, I've got to go, gotta go Burrow. Devontae Smith, Jaden Daniels. Got three more. I, 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 I'm going Devontae Smith because that was one of the stupidest seasons I've ever seen an individual put together. That, that was crazy. I was about to say I'm I'm going back to my what I used with Derrick Henry is that Jacob Coker was uh, was the quarterback. Yeah. Mac Jones was throwing him the football. <laughs> the fact that Devontae Smith did that with Mac Jones throwing him the football and uh, is is phenomenal. And he he beat out Trevor Lawrence that year too. Trevor Lawrence had a, a phenomenal year, and so yeah, I think Devontae Smith uh, just just from what he was he he was doing. I I wanted so that year I wanted so bad to dislike him uh-huh. because of who he was playing for. But every single dadgum game, I'm like Jesus Lord. I was like this. This dude is insane. Yeah, and you know, I, I was yeah, just, it was like eighteen hundred yards, twenty oh my touchdowns. Gosh. Yeah, I mean he was he was an arcade character that yeah that was that was just dumb. And you know we we the, I'm going to bring it back to the you know you talk about the different classes of Heisman. You had Devontae Smith one, Trevor Lawrence two. Here's three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Najee Harris. Yeah. Not the strongest thing. The, the two, though. Let's stop two are great. The top yeah. two are great. And then Brees Hall, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Ian Book, Kyle Pitts was the rest yeah. of the top ten. Uh, 21, Bryce Young, Jaden Daniels. 
Mm. Bryce, yeah, I'm going Bryce Young. Bryce Young is one of the better college quarterbacks I've ever seen. Man. I'm going Ty. I'm going. Oh, I'm wow. Going, yeah. No, 100% I'm going Ty. Yeah. I I yeah I mean I I respect your decision. Bryce Young is flat out one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. I I mean his his pocket presence and the uncanny ability to know when pressure was coming up on him and to make stuff happen. I mean Jane Daniels could do some of that, but man, nah. I mean he Jane Daniels is good. Bryce Bryce was on a whole different level. I'm looking at the Heisman voting here from that year. You had three quarterbacks with over 4,000 passing yards in, in that, that class. It was Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, C.J. Stroud. Oh, gosh. Give me Daniels. Okay. I'm do it. Give me wow. Daniels. Wow. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, again. No, I, no love for the Bryster. No, I think he was awesome. He had <laughs> yeah. a million passing touchdowns uh, that year. I think he is a better passer than Daniels, but – uh, I also think that Daniel's rushing again. That that's part of it. Young had his feet in a different way because it was extending plays and that sort of thing. But again, the sheer rushing of Daniel's just up and down a field, up and down a field. Sure. Uh, you know, Bryce is great, and I'm not devaluing this year in Carolina. I'm not worried about that. Oh yeah, no, no. Uh, that's not part of the equation. But uh, I mean. I think it's almost, and this is why I'm about to go the same. I'm about to do the exact same thing. I'm going to spoil the next one is seeing a second year when different weapons are there, devalue them in a way is probably why I thought about it that way. Now, you contain it to that year. I think you've got a very strong reason to, to pick Young. Mm-hmm. But then I think about how the second year went differently once some of the things around him. And, look, we'll never know because Daniels is going to go on. Or, or you could say Daniels last year was not, and maybe you're just thinking about it rever- inverse and that sort of thing. But uh, – I, I guess what I'm saying is it didn't feel the same when, okay, it's the same guy, but it's different stuff around him. And so I think of that the same way I'm thinking of Caleb Williams now, what, where it's like, well, in my view, Daniels beat out Caleb Williams because he's still in college this year. Right. And a couple of the things around him changed. But, you know, if he's, I guess if he's decidedly better, and remember, I still went tie. I didn't go better. I went tie. Yeah. Uh, if he's decidedly better, then it doesn't matter what you put around him. He's going to always just be because he's that guy. So that that's our first one that we really had a good debate on. I liked it. But, I again, it's not – I again, I think this is more about Daniels being awesome than devaluing Young's right. season because – I just – I look – I guess my whole thing with Bryce Young is he didn't have to run because that, that pocket presence allowed – whereas Jaden would run – Bryce would stay in the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, and would move up side to side and just kind of do all the technical things in the pocket and then find somebody open and, like, throw an absolute dart to him. And it, Yeah. God, sure. he, he was so impressive. I, and I hate I hate saying that about Alabama player. But sure. I'm just saying that he was, he was impressive. Sure. And I'm just saying that, again, as crazy as that year was, you saw it change a little bit the next year. And – Again, maybe that's the way we should view. I should view Daniels for not having the big year the year before, but I think it's a little different when it's after the fact, not before the fact. And any statistical edge that Young has predominantly is through playing in a few more games, ultimately. Um, because again, when Jay Daniels has forty touchdowns to four picks, I mean that's in the same that's in the same range there as I think Young had forty seven and seven or forty seven and five, something like that. Which is also crazy, but it's also when you add two or three more games to it. Now, very hard games that he still played very well in. Uh, but 
again, that's why I think it's splitting hairs, and that's why I put it in the same category. And then last but not least, Caleb Williams versus uh, Jay Nails. Sounds like a tie to me because both really good quarterbacks. I mean, both dealing with no defenses. Yeah. Yeah. Both really good quarterbacks, both dealing with it. Uh, seeing that's and seeing that's where I draw that draw that line between them and Bryce Young because I, I say tie there because great quarterbacks, but I mean nothing that just jumped out at, at me that was just like holy crap, you know this dude's amazing. That's how I felt about Bryce Young, Caleb Williams the same way with Jaden Daniels. It's like they're really good. They put up a lot of numbers and. You know, I wish I had him on my team, but you know, outside of them being just like really good quarterbacks, there's nothing about either of those two that just makes me go wow. Yeah, here's the th- danger in that though. Like, you could have a skill, but then be deficient somewhere else. And I'm not saying Young was deficient in any skill, but just because you have one over some others does not mean they don't have some underlying ones over you well, yeah, in sure. certain ways. Because, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, Daniels is clearly a better rusher. Right. And Bryce, I'm, I know it was about he didn't have to, but I promise that Jane Daniels is a better rusher than Bryce Young. <laughs> like, yeah. Bryce Young can can run around a little while, and he has great pocket avoidance. But, uh, I prom, I, again, I, prom, I, I, don't need to, I don't think I need to prove that. Uh, uh, yeah, no. So, again, so Young did have that skill over Daniels, but then Daniels has that skill over him. So – Again, that's why I think it's a tie. And I think Williams and Daniels is a tie, too, because I think that Williams was doing some pretty absurd things two years ago. We obviously know that he has to kind of carry that team, and he did not do that as successfully this year. And there does have to be some knot for that because, again, he's technically playing against Daniels, same right to the Heisman Trophy, and and Daniels outperformed him this year. So Williams outperformed Daniels last year. Daniels outperformed Williams this year. So, again, I put it in the same, same, same way. And the you know you you look at it. Daniels was not in top ten in Heisman voting last year. Williams is not in top right. ten Heisman voting this yeah. year. So, uh, you know what? Tie there. Yeah. Boom. Done. <laughs> a couple ties at the end. But see, that's my point. Is we definitely took Daniels a few times. We took other guys a few times, and we took a few ties in the mix too. And that's so. There's kind of the proof in the pudding that this is people can yell about whatever particular thing it is, the the losses or whatever, but. Daniels is still right there with most of these guys, if not all these guys, the last 10, 15 years. There's a couple exceptions. Obviously, if we went further back, everyone take Cam. Uh, and I think, again, we all took Burrow there. But there's a couple that are clearly above, but he's still in the fray with everybody else, all, all these other guys. So, uh, again, I, I, I hated to see some people maybe devalue it a little bit and devalue this year just because Daniels had a few losses with LSU. We're going to take a long-needed timeout. It was a long segment, but it was a fun segment. More Sports Call coming up after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday. About to head to the orthopedic clinic phone line again. Before we do that, I have a quote that came across the wire that I think Tom saw a little bit ago too. Which these are the kind you try to read in the things the most you can. Obviously, these recruits say good things about really all the schools that are recruiting them. They're never going to be like, yeah, you know, I really hate that school now, so I'm not going there. <laughs> so it's not like that. So I do want to, again, caution you, grains of salt. But saw this about a half hour ago from On Three, a quote from Amaris Williams. He's a four star defensive line commit. Uh, he's committed to Florida right now. Of course, Auburn's been trying to busy, be busy flipping Florida guys. They're working on LJ McRae, already flipped Jamonte Waller, uh, the four-star defensive end slash outside linebacker. And uh, Amaris Williams is not committing on sign, uh, signing day. Excuse me, he is committing on signing day, which is next Wednesday the 20th. And he said about Auburn, quote, knowing that they have a sustainable staff when it comes to the next three to five years is really good for me, end quote. Well, here's me reading between the lines. You know who does not have a sustainable staff for the next three to four years? The school he's currently committed to, which is Florida. So, again, that does not necessarily mean everything in the world. But if that quote is a quote that is a deciding decision, it ain't going to be Florida because Billy Napier – is uh, not in good water right there, and he's probably only got one more year there unless they really turn around next year. So uh, take that for what you will. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, tiger 9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line today. We go to that Orthopedic Clinic phone line now. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Good. Thank you for taking my phone call, gentlemen. Uh, so it's you, Ryan, uh, Tom, who else is on there? And Brooks. And Brooks, okay. Let's get to it, guys. You were talking, I heard some of your comments. I just came in late, listening to your uh, broadcast, about the uh, uh, Heisman uh, uh, winners and quarterbacks, receivers. So uh, with that uh, theme, I noticed something was missing. Now, you can say that. I want to hear. I invite your, your, your commentaries to mine. Uh, during the very end of the Heisman Awards, they uh, had – different Heisman winners uh, from different eras to, to represent those uh, decades. Did you guys watch that? Uh, that I, I've stopped watching the Heisman ceremony. It's it's too long, and I can I can get the news just as quick as anyone else through through other oh, means. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, I did not watch the entire – I just watched the last maybe 10 minutes of it. Uh-huh. So they had uh, representatives. Did you, you guys see the representatives they had for each decade? Uh, a few of them. Like I saw RG3 in the 2010s or something like that. But, yeah. Okay. So – my question is this. I said, hmm, uh, for me, mostly missing, there were none representing Auburn's uh, Heisman winners. Uh, I thought surely maybe for the 80s they'd have Bo Jackson. Wasn't there. And maybe for the 2000s they'd have Cam Newton. Not there. Now, my question is this, guys. Uh, do you have any any information on how these individuals are selected to represent those uh, eras when they have them on there on the show? Uh, do you know who does the selections? I, I could the New York I, City Athletic Club. Or I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I thought that that was. I think everyone's invited, and it's those that decide to show up that do. I could be wrong. I, I don't know. There's so many of them now. Maybe they do have to weed out. But but I I, I have no idea if it's. I, I thought it was up to the 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 Heisman winners. Okay, because I know you know from reading uh, those that last uh, book that came out, both, that he kind of was lucky to be in the public limelight now. Um, but with Cam, you know, he's not playing anywhere. So I just wonder, well, why wouldn't he be on there? So uh, you think 
maybe that is correct. Where can you find the information out? I mean, what about Google? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to research, but, but that's not something that's come to mind. Come to mind, but yeah, no. And, and Cam, personally, Cam does not strike me as a guy to stand on the stage like that either. By the way, I, I, I I'm sure he might do it at some point, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to go back year after year. And there's some okay. guys that do, and that's why I thought that again it was just up to up to those guys because I feel like I see someone like Gino Toretta every year, and of course Desmond Howard works with ESPN, He's but I feel like there. he 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 goes every year. So I, I I really thought it was up to all the winners. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. Okay, all right. So moving on, guys. Um, little, uh, uh, so I guess I don't hear. Did you see the AT All America team? Uh, I, I've seen some of it. Yeah. Okay. Well. Anyway, the 2023 AP All-American team is here. I'm looking at it. And, you know, the old saying is very much a, a very factual and true. The rich get richer in college football. The poor just get poorer. Alabama, let's go from Leach Report, is uh, unfortunately one of the richers. And he, apparently Alabama has uh, leads all the teams on the AP All-American team with three first-team selections and six All-American selections uh, in total. How about that? Uh, I'm, so, I mean, you're going to say I'm not surprised for a different reason than I am, but it's because they're really good and have a lot of great players, and that's how – Yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. either, you know. Uh, but uh, I thought this was interesting. Seven players uh, on the uh, AP All-American team, first team, were either fifth or sixth years uh, of eligibility across college football on the list. Uh, what would you make of that, guys? Uh, of, of most of them being fifth and sixth year guys, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that that one's interesting. I mean, we do know there are some positions that it's just hard for freshmen and sophomores to make huge impacts. Uh, the f- more physical positions, for one, obviously quarterback is something that people debate. I think that again, there have been plenty of of young guys that have had uh, tremendous years in recent past. Some of those Heisman winners we were talking about are, are sophomores and that sort of thing. But I also think that in this age of portal. There's so much more movement, and things have to go right. And I, you know, I, I, I think that's interesting. I would want to monitor to see if that's actually a trend or not. But uh, I think the portal can lend itself to guys getting in better situations later in their career and standing out. And then, again, like I said, there's some position groups that's always going to lean more, more veteran. About the portal, guys. You know, of course, it works both ways. You know, we hate it when our guys leave, but we like it when we get other people's, uh, you know, team players. Um, do you? Did you see this ever being, you know, maybe toned down any or, or or not? Do you think it's just going to continue the way it is? Uh, I, mm, I, I think eventually somebody's going to step up and try to put some reins on it. Uh, I don't know exactly how, but uh, I have a feeling that, that the whole free for all is going to end up coming to a stop at some point. I, I think the NCAA is going to have to uh, eventually put some regulations on it. I don't know what those regulations are, but I just I have a feeling that it's getting a little bit too much free for all, and somebody's going to try to rein it in. Okay, uh, and then I, I I read and I don't know what criminals yet. These outrageous amounts that are supposedly being uh, set to, to purchase certain quarterbacks two million dollars. I'm sure you guys have read that stuff. Uh, I guys, do you really think that's even you know plausible uh, for someone to pay two million for a quarterback? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right, yeah. you know, yeah, if you if you have if you have that nil, uh, the like Auburn has it's the the onto victory collective 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 is what I was looking for. If you have that big collective, uh, then you've got the money to do it. Uh, but 
And again, and, and, and again, these people are going to stop doing this because you know uh, they don't get any tax breaks uh, for this money. You know that they're paying out like in the NFL or professional uh, sports, uh, you know, the leagues. Right. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, talking about the the transfer portal getting out of control. The NIL stuff is also out of control, and that's somewhere. That's another spot that there's going to have to be some some rules and regulations kind of put in place. Some more. Uh, there are already rules and regs that are put in place, but I'm oh, talking being ignored. Info- right. Well, because the NCAA is not enforcing these things, and and that's the thing. If you're going to make these rules, then they've got to be enforced. One of the things with the NIL is it's not supposed to be used as an incentive to bring a kid to, to come play for your school. It's yeah, we'll not, forget it, that. Oh, I know. But it's it's it was not designed for, hey, we're going to offer you $2 million to come and play for X school. That's not what the NIL was supposed to be. The, the NCAA did not want that to happen, but unfortunately that's where you're at. Um, but the, if the NCAA is going to put rules on it, they're going to have to start enforcing it, and that's the big thing is they've, they've got to grow some teeth and, and become a, more of an enforcement arm and enforce things like that instead of some of the petty crap that they enforce. You know, the the, the kid that they, that they wouldn't even uh, let play for North Carolina, I guess it was, because of some some year thing or, or the NCAA, uh, the, the schools that come from uh, – FCS into the into the bowl sections and they have to sit out two years before they play. I mean, stupid crap like that. It's like, dude, you know, if, get your get your rules in place on this whole NIL thing and get that reined in and get some control over that. Get some control over the transfer portal and, and actually be an actual enforcement arm of, of some of these rules that you put in place instead of just focusing on some of the nitpicky things that they are currently. Oh, gentlemen, tell me if you see some maybe for some flawed thinking on my part, but I don't think there's going to be any enforcement of the existing rules. I think they're going to, uh, the NCAA is going to go around it by passing that proposal that you know we talked about a few days ago where there's going to be a subdivision that the rich can pretty much buy anybody they want you know, for $30,000 or more. Yeah, I, I, don't, I have no idea if they'll be able to police it well or not. I mean, that... It'll depend on what structure is in place uh, above. If there ends up being a, a break from the NCAA or not, I mean that, that it, it's too early to know how how well they would actually enforce that. But but history suggests not well. I mean that that's usually how it goes. Not 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 very forceful. But uh, it, it's too early to know without their, the structure they're going to use. All right. Speaking of uh, commitments or uh, whatever you want to call them at this point, uh, I see we've got a lot of high profile. Uh, commitments already and people who were trying to get committed uh, to flip. Uh, I've seen this list from Christian Clemente uh, for the upcoming uh, USC game on Sunday. Uh, here's the people that are going to be attending. Uh, Perry Thompson, Cam Coleman, uh, Malik Autry, uh, Buckner, and two other people by the name of Ryan Williams and K.J. Lacey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, big weekend. Big, 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 big weekend there. All right. Uh, moving on, guys. LeBron uh, may be here, too, for all you know. Okay. Well, I, I hadn't seen him. They mentioned him, but who knows? About the NFL, guys, and Mr. Brian, your team. Yes. Uh, I mean, when I thought I said, well, I mean, it's a race to the bottom. Uh, your team is, in fact, in the lead, at least for, for now, right? Yep. Three-way time. To make the playoffs with a losing record, no less. Yep. 
six and seven, right? Yep. Holy crap. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I don't want to shame your team because there's some teams that actually are tied with you along uh, with your team. The Atlanta Falcons, they're six and seven. Yep, and the New uh, Orleans Saints. The Saints, they're yep. six and seven. Okay. Uh, so, what, what do we have? What are there? Two weekends left? Oh, no. It's got four. They play 17 games four? now. Yep. Okay. So, um, how many home games does Tampa Bay have left? Uh, two and two. We're at Green Bay, then host Jacksonville, host New Orleans, then at Carolina. Okay. Well, the Carolina is a, a gimme. Should be. They're one and yep. 12. Should be. Yep. Of course. You never know, right? Yeah, never know. Okay. Only beat them by so, three earlier this year, so that wasn't very convincing. Ooh, okay. So, uh, what do you think the odds are right now for Tampa Bay uh, to make it? I think they're decent. I think that they have a lot of control over their destiny. Obviously, they do right now because if they won all four, they would win, but they're not going to win all four, and I don't think anyone in the South will. Uh, they played that, that New Orleans game again. That's huge. If they can win that and win that Carolina game at 8-9 with a 5-1 and one division record because of the division record tiebreak, that would be a decent position to be in. I think if, if I think if they just split these next two, and then beat New Orleans and Carolina, I think they would make it at 9-8 and eight for sure. So who has the hardest and who has the easiest road uh, to the playoffs in, in, in the South? Uh, Tampa's is, is probably a little harder because they have to play at Green Bay and then the Jacksonville, who, who Jacksonville is going to make the playoffs in some capacity. Uh, Atlanta has uh, a game or two that's tough, game or two that's easier. They, they've got Chicago, who's not great but playing better. Uh, I know that they've got uh, they've got New Orleans again themselves. They've got Carolina this week, so that's that should be easy. Uh, and then New Orleans has I think they've got like the Rams or somebody. So that's a that's a decently difficult game. And then they've got the Falcons and the and the Bucks. So those are two pivotal games. So they're all kind of in the same. I don't think anyone plays a team as good as Jacksonville. So Tampa in that way has it a little bit tougher. But uh, again, I think it's still about how they play against each other in, in all these NFC South games more than anything. So we probably won't know anything decisively until the very last game of the week. Yeah, with this many team, with three teams involved, with only four games to play, at, at minimum that December thirty first date when the the Bucks play the Saints, but probably more than likely it won't even be wrapped up then. Mm, okay, all right, and you know, guys, we were talking. At least I, I was uh, mentioning you guys about what I thought was an outrageous amount of money to be given uh, to that baseball player. Otani is that his name? Yes. Okay. Well, not so fast, I guess. You know. Uh, have you read the details of fine print about that? Yes, uh, and we're we're going to have a lengthy discussion on it here coming up in just a few minutes. Yeah. Okay, so I got to ask you guys first. Okay, now you, you know uh, he doesn't get all that money. He only gets two million a year for the yep. next ten years. Yes. All right. Now, uh, and I, I need the, the attempt to humor calling it the PayPal you know contract. Um, but here's my question, you guys. To me, it is irrelevant. Uh, you may say, "Well, Steve, you know you're." 72 years old, you probably take a lump sum. No. It's irrelevant what my age is. Uh, and I don't know if he chose this or it was just told him this is how you're going to get the money or do you have an option to choose something different. But I would take the lump sum. I'd want the whole damn money because some of the things, unfortunately, may happen to you along the way. Uh, one, you could, uh, any of us, could go out in our car to, uh, this afternoon and get involved in a fatal uh, car accident, Right. Yeah, I mean, you could have something okay. tragic happen, yes. Yeah, you get diagnosed with terminal illness, okay? So my question is, guys, why would you go for this instead of saying, no, I want the entire amount or 
will push your, uh, some of that lump sum money? Or would you guys have gone along with that? And I don't even know if you had that option, but would you go along with this deal? Yeah, we're, we're about it's great. out. It's great for the team. Yeah, we're about out of time here for the hour, Steve. But the, the the short answer is is that he also makes a lot of money on endorsements. He makes I think forty or fifty million a year on endorsements. They said so. Again, he's making a ton of money. the The deal is he is still even with the adjusted uh, value of it. He is still this is the richest contract in baseball history. So he is still going to make eventually the most money of any contract. And this way his team gets flexibility to continue to add to their roster with the payroll being in a better situation. And he's still making okay, a ton maybe, of money now. All right, maybe you can't answer now, but maybe in your next segment. I'd like to know, do these kind of like his, if he dies unexpectedly before he can get that money, uh, do his heirs get it? You know, I just don't know. I, I, I We could ask that about every contract. I don't know. Honestly, I'll have to research because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, something like that, I'd like to know. You know, sort of like Publisher's Clearinghouse, who gets it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bye, guys. Thanks for your time. Always enjoy your comments. I'll listen to a little podcast. So uh, have a relaxing evening. And until tomorrow, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Word Am Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are going to try to stay alive through this timeout so we can have a third hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on this Tuesday, Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app, or if you're listening on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. At the end of the second hour of the show, we had retired Ward of Steve call in about uh, numerous things. And towards the end, he mentioned the Shohei Otani contract, which is something I did want to get into today. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say, no, I don't have an answer to Steve's question that he posed at the end of the hour. Uh, but I do want to get into all of the semantics of this huge contract. So you've probably heard it by now if you're listening to that phone call or if you get news, sports news updates. But So Tani gets a 10-year, $700 million contract, except for the fact that most of that is not going to be paid to him anytime soon. Uh, and again, anytime soon. So for the 10 years that he will actually be playing for the Dodgers, he is going to make $2 million a year. That's right, just $2 million a year. He is going to be the 17th highest paid player on the Los Angeles Dodgers. He will earn less than retired players like Manny Ramirez, Chris Davis, and Ken Griffey Jr., who are all making more because they're also in deferred payments and that sort of thing. So 
Otani then, in the 10 years following this 10-year contract, which he will actually play for the Dodgers, the 10 years that he is not playing for the Dodgers, is when he will make $68 million per year. That would be $680 million, and that's when he gets the $700 million. The actual value of the contract in the eyes of Major League Baseball, and just given the uh, when the timeliness is always being paid, uh, he I think it's somewhere in the four hundred and sixty million range is what MLB is treating it like. It's it's being seen for cap reasons, like ten years, four hundred sixty million, which still narrowly beats out. I think it was Trout for the biggest contract ever. So again, he is still. In the eyes of Major League Baseball, in every way you want to judge it, this is still the largest contract in baseball history. It is just that $680 million of the $700 million, uh, no, no small sum there, no. is being deferred. And so there's a lot of layers to this because we've not seen anything to this degree. We've seen the Bobby Bonilla stuff. I mean, we, we have a, a nice humorous take every single Bobby Bonilla day on the Mets are still paying him. It's still happening. And guess what? It's still going to happen for several more years. But Shohei Otani will blow that out of proportion. Bonilla got an 8% like adjusted to inflation in bonus increase on that so that he's making more than the, uh, the time of the the value at the time, Otani will not. Otani is getting exactly seven hundred million dollars. He'll get it in a twenty year span. He will get six hundred eighty million of those seven hundred million. Uh, ten years, the ten years following his playing days or following the end of this contract. So, inflation will knock the value, true value of those dollars down, and he it will not be worth seven hundred million dollars. But again, any estimate you want to put out there, it will still be worth more than the four hundred and forty or so that Trout signed for. Over 12 years, by the way, for the Angels a couple of years ago. So with all that, guys, who I don't want to—I don't know if I want to ask it that way because who won the contract? That might be agreeing. But what are your thoughts on this contract? Do you—I mean, who who do you like it more for? Uh, and again, just how surprised were you to see this kind of number? Uh, all right. So I will tell you this: the big winner in this is the LA Dodgers. For two reasons. First of all, they got Shohei Otani. Second of all, they can still get another big-name person, and apparently they're going after Yamamoto, the, the big-time star yeah. from Japan. They're, and so they have the money to now pay him or pay somebody else. So the Dodgers are the huge winner on this because, like I said, you get the superstar in Otani, you make this incredible contract, but then you set it up into a way that you're still able to pay for Yamamoto or somebody else, another big-name guy. The rich get richer, and the Dodgers are one of the richest teams in the major leagues, um, and they can do this type of stuff. And so, yeah, the big winner are the Dodgers. Uh, numbers, it, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I think everybody knew it was going to be a crazy number for Otani just because he's that good and the demand for that is – going to be very expensive uh so yeah i mean it, it's crazy numbers uh it's just it's i don't know who i don't know who the agents are that work behind the scenes to work that deal out that but it, it's crazy that the numbers are crazy and then the way they worked it out is it, it's pretty insane now, you don't see a lot of guys go for that they, they're going to want their money mostly all up front not after retirement so uh, you know for otani to agree with that it's pretty insane I think Otani's a big winner here because you he's he comes into it he's going to get the money 
And, you know, it's like he gets all this money. He's going to get it all. But the fact that he now allows – it's kind of like – and obviously not the contract uh, is there, but it's kind of like – when Brady was in New England and he kept taking a little bit lower than uh, contract than what he was could have been owed, and uh, for the caveat that the Patriots went out and get other get players to build around him. Now the Dodgers, you know, aren't they? They they've got a pretty good lineup if you look at it top to bottom. But the fact that you know you you've got some you know over the the next the years that Otani's there, you are going to have money to be able to go and get guys every single year to continue to make your uh your club competitive i i you know you look at the you know the, it's not like the the angels weren't uh a roster that wasn't doing that you know they had otani they had trout um but you know i think that's one thing that he wanted was to go to a club that was going to compete for championships the angels were not competing for championships no matter what their their lineup looked like it just wasn't competing for championships the dodgers do every single year the dodgers are in the conversation for the uh for the uh, the, the national league pennant every single season um and so you know when you you look at this uh, they they don't you know they like you you said Tom they're one of the richest teams in baseball so they didn't need the help uh, financially but this allows you to go out and you can stack a roster you can basically you know kind of build a super team with this and and help try to get that get that win and show you know it shows uh, you know Otani is is going to sit there and he's going to watch what you do with the the money that he is uh, you know he's not taking at the time. And you're going to show them, hey, we're in this, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to get a, you know, a top of the line pitcher. We're going to keep getting top of the line pitchers no matter how, uh, you know, no matter how many guys come through here and retire or leave. We're going to keep restocking. We're going to keep restocking with top of the line hitters to put around you. It, it's, I think that the the fact that he wanted to go somewhere that, want, that is going to compete for championships uh, yeah, the Dodgers already do that, but now they have the financial ability to continue to do that and continue to keep that roster. You know, it, it may be over those 10 years, it may be different pieces, but it's still going to look like the same results. They're still going to be winning NL West titles. They're still going to be competing for NL pennants. They're still going to be competing to try to get to the World Series. And I, I think that's really what he was looking for at the end of the day. So I'm going to go from Otani's angle first and then the Dodgers angle, and I'm going to have a not cool take on the Dodgers <laughs> angle. The Otani angle, did he win? Yes. He's going to make $700 million, period. It, and, and you say, well, it's going to be deferred out. I mean, it's going to be years 11 through 20. Yeah, when he's 45 years old and he can't play the game of baseball anymore, he's going to make $68 million that year. And the average lifespan, I know Steve tried to say for some tragedy, well, we're not wishing that absolutely anybody, and the probability of that's incredibly low, so we're not going to think absolute worst case one in a million scenario. Odds are the dude is going to be living and thriving in his 40s and 50s as we make it $68 million a year. He won. And it doesn't matter that $68 million in 15 years might actually be worth $50 million in today's sport. It's a ton of money. And... Why is it not a big deal that he's taking two million in salary right now? Well, it's like, well, he lives in California and taxes are awful. And you know what? You're right. And he lives in California. The cost of living is very high there. You know what? You're right. So is two million actually going as as far as you want it to? You would be right, except he does, if you read all the articles, 
he does make roughly $50 million a year annually off of endorsement deals. Yeah. So his salary is not, in fact, from the Dodgers is $2 million, but his actual earning potential and his actual earnings right now are in the low $50 millions per year. That, he will be fine under any sort of cost of living. <laughs> so he's fine. He's going to make that in the short term while he's playing. He's going to be living mostly off that endorsement money, which he's always going to make because he's Shoei Otani and he's in Los Angeles. He was already in that market. Now he's on the cooler team in that market. Shoei Otani won. He set records. He won, period. And he's on the team he wanted to go to. He's on a team that's going to have an opportunity to compete for several years. He got to not move. <laughs> like like he got he, he got to stay yeah. in the same city he already really loves. Shohei Otani won. Hands down, he won. Now, some trades, some acquisitions, some signings, both teams win. And now I get to the Dodgers part of it. And this is going to where I say this is not going to be a not cool answer. You know what the grade for the the Dodgers is? Incomplete. That's the grade for the Dodgers right now. You say why is it not a win? Why is it not an A? Because it will only be a win if the Los Angeles Dodgers win because of this signing. They have guaranteed a ton of money to him. They're going to get more money from the ticket sales that they will increase. The Dodgers are never hurting for ticket sales, by the way. So don't act like this will greatly improve. You know, they might be chart be able to charge a little bit more for it, but they were already get ranking top five in attendance. So let's not act like they were the A's now getting, getting Shohei Otani. So they'll get more money out of that. They'll get more money out of, out of marketing and jersey sales and all that. So they'll gain financially. But what it actually, why they do this is to win the game. You play to win the game. And if the Dodgers win a World Series or two, they win. And now they both won. And it's awesome for the Dodgers. And their fans are great. And Bill Plasky eating waffles. Great. It's awesome for the Dodgers. But if they don't ever win a World Series with Shohei Otani, they're going to lose. And the reason they're going to lose this is because they guaranteed $700 million at some point to one player to put them over the top. And look, it's very likely they're going to win. Okay, I, I, if, if you made someone bet, well, the Dodgers win a World Series show, Tani, I think the vast majority of us are going to say yes. Okay, But baseball is not always about who pays the most for the most. Okay, the, the highest payroll team does not win every single year. I know that people might feel that, and certainly when the Yankees had a couple great stretches in the 1900s and around the turn of the century, you might have felt that way. But I try, I'll tell you what, the Yankees and Dodgers and Red Sox and Cubs, uh, the, the last 10, 15 years, it's usually been one of those teams uh, leading the way, and they won a few. They don't win them every single year. They didn't win it this year. So just because you pay a lot does not mean in baseball you will win every single year. And so – my point is, with the Dodgers paying this kind of money, you don't pay this kind of money and not win something of great importance. And so if they don't win the World Series, and then 10 years from now, they start paying a guy that did not ultimately lead them to a World Series, $68 million per year, and we're having jokes and stuff about, hey, 68 big ones for not a single trophy. That's going to be a loss. So the truth of it is, right now, this is an incomplete. It might feel like a, a huge win because of the promise of what's to come, but we know the injury history with the arm. He's going to not pitch this year. It's going to be the second UCL. Again, I'm not I'm not wishing on him. I don't necessarily think it's going to, to derail him much, but I'm just saying that's a lot of for sure investment on something that you still need to actually see future fruit from. And if you do not... Again, I can't, you will not be able to live down the jokes of the money you will be paying to not pl have that player uh, play 
and to not have won anything of consequence. So right now, it's incomplete. The moment they win a title or do something unbelievably cool, like, again, win a title, then great. They won the trade. It's official or won the signing. They both won. Both both things are awesome. But for now, incomplete for me. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, yeah, I mean, making it happen in the ultimate goal of winning the World Series, yeah. Uh, look at what the New York Mets just did. The New York Mets this past season put a roster together that was supposed to be a surefire World Series winner with their pitching staff, the, the, the lineup. They put a lot of money into that team, and they were an abject failure this year. Yeah, and had to sell half of it. Yeah, and so uh, – but now, the, you know, the Dodgers are locked into the Otani deal now. I mean, they're, they're, they're stuck with it. Yeah. And so, if it, yeah, I mean, if it fails, then that's a big fail. Yeah. So, uh, big risk, but you might get big rewards sure. out of it. So, again, right now, absolutely, like for today on December the 12th, 2023, you feel like it's a win because you got the best player in the game. He can do the most. He Again, most complete player because automatically because he hits and pitches. And so you feel awesome. And it will increase some revenue streams. Again, the Dodgers were already not lacking in that department. So, financially, this will help you, Sure. But again, the public perception and the actual goal of this sport and of every sport is to win. And so if you do that, then you will officially won that side and you and both parties will have won. But if they don't ever win something, then that won't be considered a win because you can't by by logic, you can't have the biggest contract in the sports history and then not win the sports biggest prize. Those two things don't add up. And so if you did one, then you failed because one without the other is not true success. So, anyway, that's how I feel about it. And that's not some anti-Dodger take. They're going to be very fun. They're going to be the pick to win the World Series, or at least damn near close. Uh, you know, Otani's not pitching will 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 factor into a little bit of the thought there. What they do pitching wise, and that's why they're going after this other guy from Japan uh, and trying to get him in there, and going after another free agent uh, free agent signing of some sort. There's still some work to do, and they acknowledge that. They were not better than the Braves this year. The Braves are the best team in the National League. They didn't win the National League because, again, that's how the playoffs work, and that's also why you can put whatever you want to on a piece of paper in baseball. you got to do it three out of five and then four out of seven times. And the and that format is not conducive to getting the best team every year, and that's fine. I, I, I Again, that's, that's not my issue with the format and all that sort of thing, but it does tell you in that sport especially, in any sport, but in that sport, it ain't guaranteed, and so they better win something of some consequence uh, to make them actually win that signing. But uh, huge contract, haven't seen anything like it. Six hundred eighty million coming when Shohei Otani will not be a Dodger. Twenty million while he will be. We need to take our next time out of the show. Back with more sports call. If you want to give us a call, three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Sports call returns after this timeout. Want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Let's get back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. Uh, this time tomorrow, we'll have Joe Bartle on of RotoWire. He can uh, kind of lead the funeral for Tom's fantasy team <laughs> that uh, I just understood has been eliminated from the league office or from the league bracket. <laughs> the league me, from the league office. Wow. Yeah, your team the doesn't league, exist the anymore. The league office ruled that Tom's team is no longer uh, existing. Oh, oh man. We're, yeah, we're getting towards the end of the show, can you tell? Uh, I've, I've been officially eliminated from both of my fantasy. Ouch. You know, me, I didn't make the playoffs either, Tom. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't have any teams. And <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, no, fantasy playoffs start for you guys. So, we'll, well, for one of you guys, and we'll. Hmm. Uh, no, Tom still is in the that. consolation bracket. Yeah, he still, he still, got, still gets actually, to play. I, games. I, get, I do get to still play. You know the the one that was crazy. Not the one from here. The one for here in the office was guys kind of up and down. The, the the other one that I do this within my family. It, it was so bizarre. It's like I was on like a five or six game losing streak, but I went through and looked at the stats on there, and I was like the third highest point winner. Wow. Or at the time. So it was like every single person I played that week had like the week of their life. It's like I would have a great week and would still get beat. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? So, I don't know, Lincoln. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, Lincoln. I had a bunch of injuries. I had some injuries early on that derailed me. I'm just going to have to, uh, I'm just going to have to put this one behind me and rebound and look forward to next season. You know, yeah. Smart plan. I'd yeah. say so. Uh, the future is bright. Speaking of futures being bright, <laughs> I would say the only the only bad thing is you don't get to keep any players the next year, so uh, it's like yeah, no no keeper league, yeah, you know, or no uh, no dynasty league, yeah. Didn't Austin Scott? Maybe he's listening right now. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Austin Scott is he in, I think, like a this. dynasty NBA league, which is just he absolutely is. what I would would want to do. That that's if I ever did something, I would want something that felt like I had more control over a period of time and more investment in the people. But again, I still. And by the way, too, I thought about this. If I'm a player and a fan comes up to me and says, "Man, you let my fantasy team down," I'm I I ain't I'm walking away. What am I supposed to do with that information? Yeah, what what what? I, I sorry that I didn't play for your uh, theoretical team or didn't do a good job for your theoretical team. I I. I all fun and games, but don't don't go up to a professional athlete and said you let me down. <laughs> you rolled my fantasy team. Pick I have better, seen that. Pick a better team so you don't have to rely on one person's performance to win it. There you go. That's a good response. I would be far less grace, uh, graceful, <laughs> so uh, or gracious. Uh, it's starting to wind down this show. A couple more transfer portal updates for you from quarterbacks. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the Miami transfer, he is on his way to Wisconsin, uh, so he will go and hopefully improve the Big Ten offensive product a little bit there with Wisconsin. Uh, and then Cam Ward, saw the latest on him. Still mulling NFL. That is a possibility. Uh, he's also on a visit to Miami, and Florida State is trying to get him in. But still no rumblings with Auburn. And, again, I think the I think, I think the proof is just getting in the pudding. Auburn, Auburn's not targeting a transfer portal quarterback. And, or at least yeah, at, at the very minimum, they're not transferring a guy that's going to come in here and start. They, they might – down the process a little ways, get a backup or something. Uh, I can't rule stuff like that out, but but they're not they're not big game hunters. It doesn't sound like they're actively going after a guy like Cam Ward, who yeah is, is like the number one quarterback in the portal. It just there's there's not a lot of smoke there with yeah. that. 
Now, I, I, is this true what I'm seeing here? Now, this was an hour ago. The state of Florida is officially suing the college football playoff committee? Oh, I, I, haven't, I haven't read into that. I don't know. I hope it's true. Yeah, I, Attorney General Ashley Moody, we are launching an investigation to examine if the committee was involved in any anti-competitive conduct and it's unprecedented. <laughs> I don't know if that's – that's I don't – I don't know if that's true or not, but it's on Twitter. And if it's on Twitter, it's true. Well, surely not. <laughs> Usually, surely not. I Let's don't see know. see if there's a legit news story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research. All right. Me. Well, me and Brooks will operate in our own little world then <laughs> for a couple minutes, and you and yours, and we'll reconvene and say, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes. Hopefully. Uh, Brooks. Right. Yeah. All right. So Lawsuits. More, no. 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 <laughs> All right. It's not going to go there. I was not going to go there. Just trying to trying to start conversation. What's the next? Oh well, I'm trying to start conversation okay. with you and well, with something that the people want to hear about, okay, like food. No, oh, I'm just I do want to hear about food. <laughs> uh, so, no serious question. Okay, we can't let. The, it's not a Friday. Fridays in the off season, we can let devolve. Wacky Wednesday, we can let devolve. We gotta we gotta keep it real on this. I don't thing. know, man. We gotta be the fun police. It feels like it feels like it's going that way. I know, way. and I'm trying trying to hang in there. I'm going to ask you a real portal question, okay? okay? While Tom continues to do the research, uh, what's the next move for Auburn in the portal? What's the next position? What's the next thing you want to see? Um, probably going in there, and you know, if, if it feels like the 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 class is almost full here with this, um, I think you go in and get some offensive linemen. I think you go in and, and you you try to find some offensive line uh, depth there. You you try to get some some guys there and, and maybe a, another veteran wide receiver or two. Because again, I know you're bringing in a really good freshman class, um, and I know they're all really really talented. What happens if you know a couple of them aren't aren't college ready when the season comes around? You're gonna want some veteran guys out there. You're gonna want some some another. And it may not be you know you don't have to go get a full uh, you know rotation of wide receivers. I know you pulled the Georgia State kid uh, or uh, yesterday or on Sunday, um, but yeah, Robert Lewis. Uh, I think that you go in and get another at least one more. Um, kind of veteran wide receiver who's been in big-time college football, i.e. just an FBS-level football, uh, one one more that you, you know is a proven commodity at the, at this level. I know, you know, you, you kind of did that a little last year, uh, but, you know, I think that this is another, another year that you're going to need to do that again. You're going to need to pull another veteran-type wide receiver. But I think those two positions really, because right now it, it's still, you know, kind of lacking on that offensive line in the freshman class. Uh, coming in, and so you, I think you need a couple more guys on offensive line to to come in and kind of sew up what uh, uh, sew up the rest of the the holes there. All right, I'm not going to ask the same question to Tom. He looks very eager to report on his findings. Tom, what you got? So now this is on ESPN. Okay, I'll take ESPN's word for it, and not just yes. Twitter. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody announced Tuesday that she is launching an investigation into the College Football Playoff Selection Committee over the decision to leave Florida State out of the top four. Moody said the state's antitrust division is sending a civil investigative demand to the committee for, quote, more information about the nature of possible contracts, conspiracies, and restraint of trade or monopolization of trade and commerce relating to anti-competitive effects of the college football playoff. 
That was There's words. a lot of legal words there. Yep. Yeah. Words. She says, I'm a lifelong gator, but I'm also the Florida Attorney General, and I know injustice when I see it. Whoa. Wow. Strong. Yeah. Wow. My office is launching an investigation to examine if the committee was involved in any anti-competitive conduct. So there you go. Sure. So I Flor- don't care. Florida I... is investigating. They, they are Burn butt, it down. They are butthurt. Yes, Burn it all are. down. Uh, we all have our opinions on what should or should not have happened, but yeah. I don't know if legal ramification is exactly because then you start and here's the slippery slope. We might, I might be mildly entertained this time, <laughs> but you're gonna do it every single time. Yeah. Like imagine, imagine tw- the year is 2026. Okay, <laughs> the year is 2026. That's not far from now. Okay. The world has devolved into the chaos. <laughs> it's 2026. The number 12 team in the country selected is, I don't know, the TCU Horn Frogs. They went 10 and 2. Good for TCU. The number 13 team in the country is the 10 and 2 Iowa Hawkeyes. They scored eight points a game, but they're 10 and 2, and damn it, they won in that playoff. And so they start suing. <laughs> Are we just going to sue every time we missed it by one? Yes. Like, come on. And that's my thing. Get the lawyers involved. <laughs> that's what you want to hear. Oh. Just like get Congress involved. Oh, wait, we're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's not, I, I know I joke, but obviously we've got one case going on. It's obviously not as far-fetched as you want it to be. And I'm just, I'm not, my appetite, even in something that seems wrong, I my appetite is not to sue at, at every single corner. And uh, litigation and and all that. I'm 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 fine. And so, I just eh, for, yeah. for the state of Florida is going to have to drop it. That's that's all I'm going to say. They're they're going to have to drop it. I again I know that I know that they feel wronged, and I get I do think they were wronged in a way, and and great. But that's there's levels to this, as the kids say, and that that does not reach the the legal legal level. So, all right, good findings, Tom. Thank you for that. That that is a real thing, and yeah, it is a real thing, and that's about a, the best I is, can say about yeah, it. Yeah, that is happening. Uh, I will I will finish off. Uh, I asked Brooks a question, a more wholesome question, a few moments ago about what's next for Auburn in the portal. What's next really is dictated by what happens the rest of this high school class to a degree. I think that if they continue to get what they want at each level, then it changes the numbers because they are getting into a place where they're not as number desperate anymore. Now, what they get in high school might not change the top of a depth chart for next year for a couple positions. But again, if they're last year, they were having to mix in. We really need somebody to play football and we really need numbers. And this year will be more of we just need something to get better at a position. And as long as they shore up the numbers, then they're not having to reach for 20 or 25 portal guys. Uh, I think that they in the portal will still probably need another offensive lineman because they've been kind of light on that in this class. They're still working on it. They still have a couple of opportunities, but we'll see if they land them. So I think that that kind of has to do a little bit with the high school ranks. Uh, I think that they would probably still target an ODB, although Keontae Scott coming back is very important uh, for that. Big. Uh, they still have some other guys like Donovan Kaufman in there too. So they, they got a Juco guy, what was Laquan Robertson, I believe, um, or Patterson Robertson, Patterson one of the two. Um, 
they could probably still go another DB in the portal. I don't know if that you know again they have they don't have the appetite. It doesn't seem to get the absolute huge portal guys involved. Like my instinct is like when I see someone like Walter Nolan out of A and M in the portal, like you should just be calling. Everyone should be calling. Sure, I, I've I've seen he's interested in some other schools that I've not seen Auburn's name linked there. But like that's one. If you were dedicating resource and money into the portal, not in the high school, Walter Nolan being no brainer. That would be like, yep, that's that's one of our guys. We'd really like him, uh, but they're not. And so, again, I can't really tell you any big studs that they're going to try to get in the portal. But, again, certainly a DB with experience would make sense. Uh, they've already added one wide receiver in Robert Lewis. We'll see if they'd add another there. Running back position, I tell you what, we have not talked running backs at all because Auburn has been the most calm on the Western front, quiet on the Western front, than – any other position. We will see if this is what actually happens. But as of right now, Jarquez Hunter is coming back. Damari Alston is coming back. Brian Batia is coming back. And uh, Jeremiah Cobb is coming back. All at varying levels in their varying stages of their college careers. Uh, so if you have four running backs that you like to kind of see in the field this year, I don't really see why you need to add another. Uh, it's still only one ball to carry. And you're not going to run... 80% of the time, and certainly not with the wide receivers you're trying to bring in. So uh, that's one position that's just kind of a whole lot of nothing, and that's fine. I think Auburn's running back room is perfectly fine. So, yeah. But but it's Loaded. interesting. That's I think that's the first time I've said the word running back in two weeks, and it pertains to Auburn because, again, yeah. there's just no reason at this juncture. And, I, and, look, guys can still get in the portal. Things can change. Again, I can't promise any – I can't promise a soul comes back technically – uh, but, but again, that position group has seemed rock solid. There's no moves towards the NFL. Uh, as long as those guys like Petit and Cobb down that are three and four more on the depth chart are, are good with the opportunities they're going to get next year in a more limited role. or in, I mean, in a similar role, role to this year, but still in a limited role overall, then there, there's really no need for movement there. So And therefore, there's no need for another portal guy. Uh, Petit will still factor in the return game and a change of pace back and uh they they've really not recruited the running back position either i think what was it fat burnett that that they had committed out of andalusia yeah. that decommitted and auburn really made no moves to try to go get a different running back commit because mm -hmm. again they i think i think that i think that decommit spawned from the fact that actually all these guys are coming back there is no right. room to play you you can barely play four really three is usually most people's limits around when you actually play right and auburn's been auburn's gonna try to play four as of right now next year and, and that frees up that frees up a, a spot to go after somebody else too so yeah it sounds so, like fat burnett's leaning towards missouri it sounds like missouri is big yeah. on him well, you see what Schrader did this year, and you, yeah. you think a little differently about Missouri if you're running back. But, yeah, so I, that's an update. Again, I think, again, to sold all up, uh, Lyman, uh, offensive lineman would be a good idea, maybe another pass rusher, maybe a DB. But, again, that's why they focused. If, if they're not going to get the huge guy in the portal, that's why they focused on uh, on, on these high school guys and all the money and, 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 and trying to get – really game-changing players there throughout the high school ranks. We're going to take one final timeout and the show. Back with the nightly TV guide to wrap it up. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
The Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. Starting to wind things down on this Tuesday. Only about three or four minutes left. Uh, Go ahead and remind you about a couple of things. I think that's actually the first thing we said this week. Uh, As of right now, we will be having a short show on Thursday as that's the return to Borgard High School basketball. Around 5 o'clock start time again there. That'll get us off air between 4.30, 4.45, somewhere in there. Uh, so that will happen this Thursday. Uh, and then next week, I think we – I'll have to – I'm going to wait till Friday to talk about it in full, but I think we've got two shows that might be shortened uh, next week as we get a, f- a few high school broadcasts in uh, before the uh, Christmas holiday and before we kind of end tw- 2023. And of course, in 2024, we'll have a lot of high school coverage. We'll continue on. With Borgard High School basketball here on Tiger 95.9. We'll have Borgard softball and baseball in the spring. And then over on FM Talk 93.9, we'll have Smith Station basketball through the entirety of basketball season and switch over to softball and baseball in the spring over there on 93.9. So we continue on with our partnerships with Borgard High School and with Smith Station High School. couple minutes left in the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? we got a few events on tonight for the sports world, so only one movie pick for you this evening. Uh, 6 o'clock on HBO, The Born Ultimatum, starring Johnny Damon. Great movie. Uh, highly recommend watching it if you're into the spy thriller scene. I know he did. I know. I know. You said Johnny Damon. You said, yeah. It is Johnny Damon. The great Red Sox yeah. Yankee, yeah, like, Johnny Damon. I was sitting here all of a sudden, I was just like, <laughs> what? Wait a minute. I bet, bet. Matt Damon, <laughs> his cousin. Um, uh, so let's go to the sports picks now, shall we? Six o'clock on ESPN2. Johnny Damon's playing. <laughs> yes. Not quite. The uh, I think all of our favorite teams and uh, favorite team, the Hofstra Pride, uh-huh. visit Cameron Indoor Stadium, yes. take on the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, 7.30 on FS1, Coppin State visiting Georgetown uh, for some college basketball action there. Uh, you've got some NBA action on tonight at 6.30 on TNT. The Lakers visit the Mavericks. Follow that up at 9 o'clock with the Warriors visiting the Suns. Some hockey action for you tonight. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings visit the St. Louis Blues at 6.30 on ESPN. Follow that up at 9 o'clock by the Blackhawks heading west to take on the Oilers. And then you've got some NBA G League action tonight. How about Whoa. that? The Rip City Remix visit the team visit Team Ignite from Michelob Ultra Arena, Las Vegas. That's 9 o'clock on ESPNU. I, 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 uh... Yeah? <laughs> what, what, what's, your, what's on your mind? I'm out of words, folks. <laughs> There's a minute left to show it. I'm done. Uh, the Ignite team this year, I can't think of any big-name prospect. I'm sure there's one or two because there always is, but I, I feel like in recent years, Ignite had guys like Scoot Henderson that were mm. just ev- everyone needed to see. Yeah. And I'm not thinking of that guy this year off the top of my head. So I don't uh, know. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll do more research and be sure not to tell you about it tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, thank you for the TV guide, Brooks. Yeah, that's right. It's that, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Yes, sir. Sports Claw's nightly TV guide there. Brooks does a great job with that. Always post the graphics, too, by the way. Uh, Brooks always takes care of that for us on our social media. And today was actually Ronnie Brown's birthday, by the way. And oh, Brooks yeah, also was. posts those graphics today. So thank you, Brooks, for all that you do, including me on the show. Have a safe trip up to Huntsville tomorrow, and we'll talk to you again on Thursday on the Borgard broadcast. See you then. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today. We will see you again tomorrow. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. That does it for the show today. We want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us. And as always, we thank all of you that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.